This week's episode of Two Tools covers the 2023 Hall of Fame ballot, who's in and who's out, the latest in the free agent market and trade pool, and was today the worst day of Alex's life? Find out next. Hello, listeners. My name is Alex Jonitz, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Travis Miller. I am more of a stats nerd. He was a total stud on his D3 college team. This is the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. Enjoy. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is the Two Tools Baseball Podcast, episode 87 Alex and I are coming to you live. It is Monday night, January 23rd. Big episode, Alex. A lot of breaking news that has happened not only today, but over the past couple weeks as we are slowly but surely getting into the month of February. Uh, Exciting month then and there. We're going to get into pitchers and catchers reporting for camp in spring training in either Arizona or Florida. But a jam-packed episode for everyone here. We're going to, of course, cover the biggest news of all, the Hall of Fame voting, which will take place tomorrow. For those of you guys listening, it'll happen today if you're listening on Tuesday, January 24th. But possibly we might get some new guys entered into the Baseball Hall of Fame, the ceremony that happens this summer. Possibly, though, we can possibly only have only one person get in. That's going to be Fred McGriff. We'll talk about that stuff in a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about some free agent signings that have happened. Um, kind of players been trickling down the uh, the pipeline for free agencies and some trades that have happened. But Alex, let's start with the biggest news of all. It covers our team. Um, kind of one of the biggest breaking news is for an Angels fan this offseason. Artie Moreno, Angels owner, Months ago, I think it was probably back in July or August, he made it public that he was going to explore selling the team. He wanted to basically uh, give the ownership over to another group or another individual, get it off his plate, make a very nice profit, and get out of baseball. Today, he came out with the news that he will not be selling the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Sounds funny to say it like that. It should be Anaheim Angels or California Angels. But he will not be selling the team, Alex. Give me your thought. (laughs) Travis, it's something that has kind of been in the front of most Angel fans' mind all offseason. We know that um, whatever happens, we will be in better hands once the team is sold. Um, For an Angel fan to kind of get this news today of the team not being sold, uh, no longer listening to offers. Artie Moreno will remain the owner. It's just definitely bad news across the board. Uh, the, uh, we, we, we could talk for, I mean, we could do a whole episode just about why we don't like Artie Moreno as owner. But just to give, I guess, some of the tidbits, some of the, you know, Spark Notes version uh, of what we don't like about it, you know, he's one of the most meddling uh, owners in terms of an owner, an owner, um, being heavily involved in the front office decision making so making baseball decisions from someone who's not hired to be a baseball mind you know he's obviously a businessman he had other business people um in the organization making baseball type decisions a lot of decisions top to bottom were made uh financially motivated travis instead of developmental like angels if if you find anything about like any article about like poor minor league conditions, poor minor league pay, 
any sort of article about minor leaguers kind of getting the short end of the stick if they ever list teams that are like the biggest culprits or have the problems angels are always on there like they always have these issues either cramming lots of guys in small housing like i've seen pictures of like you know five guys to a room kind of thing in like uh double a whatever it is and you know some some former pros will say that's the life that we lived on the road and blah 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 but um for me, Travis, I think that the money you invest in your team at top to bottom into your players, these are guys that you've picked to be on your team. And don't you want the most from them? I wouldn't be cutting cost mm-hmm. when it comes to their well-being. It uh, doesn't make much sense to me. But uh, the, the, and some other things that you know we don't like about Artie Moreno's ownership with the Angels, something that's kind of un, uh, not really talked about as much as maybe it should, a lot of former players, Travis, speak out against them quite frequently. Um, I did see some funny uh, tweets I'm gonna pull up and these were these were older tweets that are just uh, kind of being brought back based on the news but um let me see here and these are current or these are players so, that were so it, in the organization in the past or it, minor leaguers uh no so th- these two tweets are from angels. Uh, I would say legends. I, okay. I mean, I, I don't know if you consider Toy Hunter a legend, but he's definitely mm-hmm. an Angels fan favorite in his time here. Um, I can't find the exact tweet. I thought I had it saved, but essentially what he was saying was, um, this was a tweet from like 2012, Travis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like after he was no longer an Angel and there was like this thing about um, essentially there must have been some sort of financial negotiations that mm-hmm. didn't go his way. And then already made some bigger moves um, you know, there's the whole Albert Pujols stuff and the things afterwards. And I, I just think that uh, Tory Hunter thought that already told him about the lack of money, the lack of spending, but then went and bought a bunch of other players. And Tory Hunter kind of felt left out of that. Um, felt like the ownership wasn't being honest and transparent. And he said, you know, baseball is a business, but let's keep it real or something like that. And mm-hmm. then another tweet that came out, Travis, and it was right after they announced the sale or the desire to sell the team um, last year, like you mentioned, Rod Carew, who of course is a Hall of Famer with the Twins, but spent many years with the Angels. He had a tweet saying like, it's about time that we get already out of the Angels organization. Maybe Rod will start participating in like Angels type events Mm -hmm. and getting some more Angels love going in terms of, you know, uh, being involved in the organization now that Artie's gone. So obviously, when you have someone who played for the team decades ago, way before the Moreno tenure, but they have such a bad taste um, in their mouth about the current owner, it just makes you think, like, what what is Artie's communication like with some of these Angels alumni, you know, some of these guys who were with the team um I was going to say when their brightest days, but I mean, I don't even know if those were their brightest days. It's just talking about respected MLB veterans disliking the ownership um, kind of across the board. And it just definitely raises these questions of what exactly do uh, what exactly is he doing already to uh, increase the team's stock in MLB and just to kind of keep us as a growing organization. Baseball teams grow naturally, Travis. I believe he bought the team for some somewhere around like 180 million back in like 2003, I believe. Yes. And it's like a 20 20 year turnaround if he did make the sale this year. Um est- people estimated over a 2 billion dollar offer. He's making over 10 times his money on a two decades of getting to to pretty much be 
MLB GM simulator, right? He just gets yeah. to make trades when he wants to. And I'm going to go pay Albert Pujols a bunch of money um, just because I want the legend to be in my team's colors. I'm going to go get Josh Hamilton for, you know, which apparently amounts of money, which apparently he flew to Texas without the GM to make that happen, which is just so funny. But it, the list goes on of kind of reasons why we have other issues. And then, and then even just outside of baseball, which we're not going to get super into it, but there was like a, even like a city corruption case about Anaheim. <laughs> yep. I think there was like a 50 year deal that they tried to get uh, locked in for angels to stay in Anaheim and get like this authorization to like expand like the area where the ballpark resides and like build outwards and like have like a whole little community thing going on by the ballpark. And I, there was just something crazy happening where uh, the mayor of Anaheim resigned after like, that deal got like uh universally declined by city council or something like that so the city council was like no like we're vetoing this this doesn't make sense financially and apparently it came out that like there was like a million dollar payment to like the mayor's uh campaign there was a lot of fraud or you know yeah illegal things going just, on just like was in the news some yeah. sort of yeah collusion and collaboration corruption going on between like Angels or yeah, Angels owner Artie Moreno, and then like the former Anaheim mayor who stepped down surprisingly once the deal didn't go through. It's like I feel like there's something going on there, but yeah. obviously he was never like charged criminally or anything like that. But it's just it's just silly, Travis. The amount of uh, hoops you'd have to jump through to try to defend the last twenty years of mm-hmm. Angels baseball. Obviously, the first decade of Artie's tenure was pretty successful because he inherited a team that just won a world series had lots of good talent they brought in vladimir guerrero um he was very good obviously and then some of the young players that stuck around like you know like lackey figgins uh guys like howie kendrick some of these guys kind of just came up with the team and they, they stayed good but once that crop left moreno has really failed to kind of bring in the next generation outside of mike trout who of course has been the franchise player um for the team's history um, which is almost just kind of like a really flash in the pan kind of luck but besides that like i really do not know exactly what the direction has been the vision it's been a lot of spending on uh the wrong fits um the wrong types of guys bringing in you know i i our pools traps at the time it always seemed like we, we were young at the time we we're like this is awesome but mm-hmm. i really can't imagine what how i would react to that right now like if, if we offered a 31 year old uh first baseman a record-breaking contract that would take him to like age 40 i probably wouldn't be that stoked like i'm just yeah. trying to, i don't know what the comp would be for like today's game but like i don't think i'd be that stoked um but anyways uh, without rambling on too much more, there's like he's also being sued by like the Skaggs family. Like like the the list goes on for things that you could say like it just kind of made sense to get out right now. And mm-hmm. the fact that he's running it back in saying this unfinished business, I really do not get it at all. I hope that the only golden ticket here, possibly the one little golden nugget, might just be that they did spend a lot more this offseason than they did in the previous few. Um, they set a team record for for payroll. If it continues to go up that way, then then you know what? Maybe we can turn something around. I also think the new general manager of the last couple of years, Perry Manassian, has done a good job improving the minor leagues, the conditions, as well as bringing in talent and you know, I think some pretty solid draft picks um, in the last couple of years. So maybe the things could trend 
uh, in the right direction with Artie still somewhat at the helm, but I think I really need him to be completely out of baseball operations, decision-making, um, and I think just some of the off-the-field stuff too, like, you know, you're being sued by a family of a former player, you're being, there's suspected corruption with the city. It's like, what what, what, what are we <laughs> yeah. doing here? But Charles, yeah. I just spent a lot of time talking about it. Give me your thoughts. Um, hopefully it doesn't take as long as me, but I know we're kind of in a similar tr- yeah. uh, school of thought here, but uh, what, what was your reaction when I sent you that tweet of the Angels confirming that he will be keeping the team? And then uh, where do you think we go from here, I guess? Yeah, I felt a lot like uh, 2020, Jock Peterson and Ross Stripling coming over to the Angels from the Dodgers. And then time was basically, uh, you know, the, the trade and everything was put on hold. Time went by and then Artie said, you know what, never mind. We're not doing that at all. And uh, Jock Peterson has a really good year. So is Ross Stripling. Uh, could have really helped us in a 60-game season, I truly believe. And, uh, you know, Dodgers going to win the World Series that year. So it it was definitely a frustrating time. And then today, it just it just felt like, Artie had been basically putting this team on hold or putting his ownership, of course, on hold. Maybe the um, the buyers were not giving him the number that he wanted. And then, of course, he just kind of said to himself and to his family and the team and the organization, I'm just actually going to keep the team. Uh, I want to see where this thing can go. Uh, I think you mentioned it too, Alex. The one thing that is possibly a bright spot is that you know you have a big marketing piece on the team that pitches and hits Shohei Otani. Maybe this is a way for Artie to say, I will pay him the big bucks. I will give him a huge and massive record-breaking deal. Him and Mike Trout will be the two highest-paid MLB players in Major League history, and we can move on with that. It'll be a huge marketing campaign with Trout and Otani, the two biggest names in MLB on the same team for the next, you know, for at least for the for the for the 2020s, this decade to finish it out. But um, that that's the one that thing I do hope that is going to be coming through. I can't imagine him saying we're not going to resign Shohei. We're going to move to other players, and then basically, you know, I think the value of the team kind of goes down if you have Otani on the team. You're marketing your advertisements with international enterprises and you know Japanese media that just skyrockets so that's one thing that I think is very optimistic and is very hopeful for Angel fans is that you can get a guy like Otani for a uh, basically most part of his career Um, but it just again I think we were so excited about a new owner we were excited about you know possibly the owner of the Warriors is Jake uh, Joe Lacob Joe Lacob like there's so many so many exciting prospective owners we were hearing about right like who would be down to just put a bunch of money and say we want to win now yeah I was pumped yeah and and, and even with the Warriors owner it's like you, you just see the dynasty that he created with that Golden State team and then of course other people as well I know the um the the owner of I think the LA Times the uh, basically the owner was uh, the owner of the L.A. Rams. The I can't. There's there's like sixteen the guy sixteen uh, teams the guy owns. I, Denver Nuggets, the Avalanche. It's so many teams. I think there's also like an anonymous like Japanese businessman yeah. who was like uh, interested as well. And, like and, and I was. I, I really wonder. I really would like. It's not obviously like all private affairs. Yeah. But I really would love to see like the public react to like what kind of offers did Artie actually get for the team? Mm-hmm. I can only assume he got like legitimate like two and a half billion dollars like like some sort of like something that would have been some sort of record for an mlb team um for for the time and i i just think that it probably really boils down to he just likes doing this and he just wants to win and he has the money so he's you know no one can really tell him he can't do it anymore he's gonna keep trying to win even though we think his methods are really flawed and and i was actually really excited i was hoping that a japanese you know um 
a, a very wealthy Japanese company would have came in and swooped and, you know, basically took the angels because a, you're probably looking at re-signing Shohei because why would a, you know, a Japanese ownership group not want to keep uh, the most prized player in baseball of the whole entire world right now. And then of course, Alex, you look at possibly a, a funnel system for Japanese talent now going to the angels. Imagine if you basically said the angels uh, minor league system is in Salt Lake city and uh and other places around the u.s but it's also the entire league of japan those are all players that could be linked to the angels every single year because every every off season there's always one more japanese player that makes the move to the mlb that'd be so exciting to have the angels be the first pick for that crop of players coming out of japan so the next yu darvis the next tanaka um the next seiya suzuki all those guys coming out of japan and possibly looking at the angels as the first team to go to so um I I'll look at it this way. I mean, if it, I, and, and I know we've, we've been on this road too many times, but if Artie's really committed to winning and wants to spend the money, then go all for it. If, if we can see it in the next couple off seasons, him really going down and spending the, uh, the hard earned cash to make this team a winning ball club, then we're going to embrace it and love it. But for the last 10 years, we have not seen at all anything to be proud of. Uh, and, and that's really been a, a troubling sign for angels fans that hopefully we can get out of. But, um, We'll hear more about this later on, probably in the next couple of weeks and in the month or so about what's going to happen with all this um, from everything that he's been saying. So we'll keep you guys updated on that. But Alex, let's get into some free agency and trade uh, market news that has been happening over the last week or ever since we last recorded. Um, we'll start with probably the biggest additions or the biggest news out of all that has happened the last week. Uh, between the Miami Marlins and the Minnesota Twins, uh, some of the biggest news, Luis Arias, all-star first baseman, middle infielder for the Minnesota Twins, is on his way to Miami for exchange. Pablo Lopez, who will be going to the Minnesota Twins, as well as some prospects from the Miami Marlins system. Pablo Lopez, Alex, we've heard his name all offseason. It's always been rumored in trades. I think a lot of teams have been linked to him. But what do you make of the trade? Uh, personally, for me, it's a win for the Twins, for the Miami Marlins. It's a team that I just don't understand. Um, they're, they're, they're getting better. Uh, they're getting better. But the thing is, the division is already basically locked. It's between the Phillies, the Braves, and the Mets. I just see the, the Miami Marlins basically... A, a team that probably could possibly, possibly maybe win 80 games this year with this roster. I don't know, but possibly. And you're still going to be a fourth place team, in my opinion. So what, what do you make of it? What do you see that the, the the Marlins are doing right now? And then, of course, the Twins being more aggressive. And also some news, Twins just traded for Michael A. Taylor from the Kansas City Royals. Basically a contact guy and a great defender. But what do you make of both sides of this trade in both teams, Alex? I personally, my, oh, I'll put it this way. My original thought was the Twins really, uh, you know, fleeced, as they say, or just kind of did really well in the trade. I think that if you just told me Pablo Lopez and Luis Arise were in a trade for each other, which team is sending over prospects, I would assume that the team that's receiving Pablo Lopez would be giving up the prospects, yep. not the other way around. I'd be really surprised, just because I think that Pablo Lopez in the last couple of seasons has showed, you know, he could be a number two pitcher on like a World Series winning team. Yep. You know, I think he has that kind of upside. Um, a 3.75 ERA, you know, a three war. He's going to give you 180 innings pitched a season. So I think he's a very good number two. Yeah. And, and 
Arise is someone, Travis, who, while he does bring good tools, I think that there's just kind of an incompleteness there. And, you know, there's definitely something to be said for like, hey, our team has too many power hitters who have good pop, but too many swings and misses. And we want to bring in a couple contact hitters. I think that can make sense. You know, I'm not going to be totally against that. And, and the Marlins were a team, Travis, who they just have some of these guys who do strike out a ton. Jorge Soler is like a really a guy that stands out. I know Akezu Sanchez, I think, is another one that just high strikeout rate guys. But, you know, they have a pop. But if they're all cold, you're just going to like have zero runs in like a few games in a row, you know. So uh, it makes sense to bring in a contact bat. Also great discipline on a rise. He's a very good hitter if you do not care about the pop but the pop leaves a lot to be desired mm -hmm. um a low slugging the last couple seasons he was an all-star but I, I i it always bugs me when people are saying like you know all-star first baseman Luis rice like i don't know being an all-star all-star reserve one time and then just being considered all-star the rest of your career yeah, yeah. it's kind of silly when in the mlb every team needs to have an all-star by rule so it's like Garrett Cooper for the Miami Marlins is an all-star. It's like, I yeah, I don't think very much of him you when, know? when he's 38 Travis and gets like a, a one year deal with uh, some, the Royals. <laughs> I was going to say some team in Korea. Like, yeah, it, it, they're going to say like all-star DH outfielder Garrett Cooper goes to Korea. It's like, I just, I just hate when the term yeah. gets overused, yeah. but like he is technically an all-star. He had a good year last year. I don't want to, well, it, it's similar to when Dodgers got Pujols and they said MVP Pujols is headed to the Dodgers. And I said, buddy that was 10 years ago yes. you know it's or, or you know the, the dodgers have you know an onslaught of cy youngs or you know they i think i think they had david price that one year in the trade and they said they're going to get they get an mvp in mookie and a cy young winner in, in david price and so it's it's for the average you know fan for the average person just watching the television on on your nightly news network you're going to say oh my goodness we made a huge move but i mean come on let's dig deep here and then just going off of going off of that philosophy of adding the contact bat i think it does make sense in many ways but i think they haven't penciled in as the everyday second baseman mm -hmm. with um jazz chisholm moving into center field is what they're saying he's prepared to play center field he says he can be played at a hall of, at a at a gold glove level you know hats off to him i like to see him try he's got the speed for it we'll see if he has the glove but I, I just personally think that if your everyday plan is a rise to second base, the defense is going to be pretty lacking. The metrics don't love what he brings to the table defensively, especially at second base. Especially with Gene Segura at third. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's going like, to be an interesting infield. And it'll be, I guess, Wendell at short. Like, it's just a very... Yeah, very. It's just a big... I, again, am I, if, I, if I'm a Marlin fan, I'm, I'm a little frustrated because I want to just build for a young future, but I don't know what we're doing with some of these guys. I, I mean, I know Arias has... Uh, uh, he's, he has control. He's not a free agent until 2026, but I, I, again, I'm, I'm kind of scratching my head on this move. Yeah. I think the Marlins are a team that, um, they should be doing what I feel like the Diamondbacks are doing, which is the Diamondbacks kind of are aware. We're not going to be able to beat the Dodgers this year, probably not next year. Um, they're really kind of playing to kind of build up and be ready for a few years down the road. I mean, Arise is still, he's not old by any means, but, no. um, it's just definitely something where you're trading your veteran pitcher. I think it would have been cooler to get a top prospect yep. in return for Pablo Lopez instead of giving away prospects. One of your top 10 prospects, it's like their sixth prospect, I think. Yeah. Number six prospect. Um, and another prospect below that. Plus, uh, just to get a contact second baseman who 
is going to play probably below average defense. Um, doesn't really move the needle that much for you. I do think that there's a world where, surprisingly enough, I think there's a world where Marlins do win this trade because I think like there's maybe two years left on Pablo Lopez's deal, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Like mm-hmm. one injured year and like maybe the value you get uh, for the Twins is not even that much. But uh, I, I do think for Twins, it's the exact correct type of move to make. You're trading away a guy who gave you good value towards the top of the lineup, but you're getting a guy who could pitch in a wild card series for you and you could feel like I'm giving the ball to him and I trust him. I did see some uh, some like stuff plus stats posted by Eno Saris on Twitter and and maybe 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 some of the Lopez stuff maybe he's been overperforming a bit I'm not hundred percent so maybe there'll be some regression maybe he's not um, gonna be as dominant as he was in the past couple of years but I still think Travis in adding a guy like Pablo Lopez to your rotation especially in the AL Central I could definitely see him being an impactful guy in those big series against the division rivals I could see him. Uh, winning you a game in, in a wild card series so from that perspective i think that it's a great move for the twins but overall you know it's just one of these things that i agree with you i don't i, I love to hear the marlins sort of idea behind this i get that they just want to be a better team but i'm always of the mindset if we can't win it all right now then let's try to prepare ourselves to win it all in five years or seven eight years yep. uh and, and, and like you said the braves the mets the phillies are all you have three teams in your division committed yeah. to winning in the next two, three, four years. Let's just wait until some of them burn out. They all have these big contracts. Except for the Braves have like these <laughs> suspicious, suspicious <laughs> contracts we've but, been talking about for now a good but, year. But if you want to wait for the Phillies, wait for wait for five years when Trey Turner and Bryce Harper, uh, Bryce, they're mid, they're they're yeah. in their mid thirties. Schwarber and Castellanos are out of there. Probably Nola might be out of there. Wheeler might be out of there. So, and obviously they, that team could retool in some way. But mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're going to have some stinker contracts. You know, the Mets are probably going to have some stinker contracts too. They're just shilling out big bucks. Um, it seems yeah. like every week they have a new player in their team. So, I, I would try to kind of build for the future and bring in some young talent. Um, like we said the previous episode, Travis, the trade for the. Uh, for the Diamondbacks to get rid of Varsho and bring in a top prospect, catching prospect in Gabriel Moreno. I think that's the kind of deal that would have made more sense mm-hmm. trying to get a guy like that for a Pablo Lopez type. But Travis, at the end of the day, um, you know, it's two players that I think probably won't like swing the needle too much for their teams. Mm-hmm. But um, overall, I think Twins uh, made a move that I, I'd be happy if I was a Twins fan. I'll yeah, that I, way. I mean, Two weeks ago, we were looking at the Minnesota Twins as, okay, cool. They're probably not going to be a team competing for a wild card spot. Uh, they're not really making too many great I, I moves. I was pretty much counting them out before yeah. the Correa. Yeah, and then Correa comes along. He signs with them, and then now Pablo Lopez gets traded. And then, of course, just Michael A. Taylor. He'll just be a depth piece, um, someone that they can put in for great defense at the end of the game or possibly start against a lefty here and there throughout the season. But and the, the Marlins have some good pieces that I consider great trade pieces. Jacob Stallings as their catcher, he's a guy that I think a lot of teams would love to have. Um, and then, of course, I mean, I know Arias just got traded, but Arias, I think, could be a, a useful bat on a championship team. Something like the the Toronto Blue Jays. They need a lefty contact guy. I think I think Arias would do very well in that lineup. Um, and then Joey Wendell. I mean, I know last year I spoke with you, Alex. I was I was hoping the Angels could do something with trades in terms of Joey Wendell. He is a, a he's just a good left-handed hitting bat that can play so many different spots in the infield. He played second base. I guess now he'll play some shortstop. He's played some outfit. I'm pretty sure he he basically made his career in Tampa. Uh, he had some very good 
uh, moments for the Tampa Bay Rays in that, uh, you know, that 2018 to 2021 time frame. But um, and then, of course, Jazz Chisholm playing center field. Jazz was a great second baseman. A lot of people um, early on last year, Alex, he was already looked at as like he'll be the all MLB second baseman this year. Like he'll make that jump. I think injuries really hurt him there. But uh, I just feel like the Marlins have so many good pieces that they could flip for some prospects or just kind of build off of. Now, I think Jazz and a guy like Alcantara could be someone you could build off of. Those are two really good pieces. But I, I again, I just don't kind of know where this team's going because you kind of got older in a way and you and, and you gave up Pablo for someone else. It's, it's a confusing time for me in Miami. So hopefully that'll get addressed and that they can make some changes in, in the in the uh, in the coming future, because I mean, this division, like I said, I think it's locked up for the next three or four years, um, at least for the talent wise, the Braves, the Phillies and the Mets are going nowhere. But you mentioned in five years, some of these contracts will be aging. Some of the guys will be traded away. Who knows what it's going to look like? But um, moving on for just some other um, yeah, administrative trade stuff and free agency news. Uh, and I'll kind of roll through it. But Aroldis Chapman finding a home in Kansas City of all places, Alex. I, I thought he was going to go to a place that was kind of a bigger urban city. Um, but he's going to go to a quiet Midwest town, Kansas City, join Patrick Mahomes uh, as at, well once was a star in Chapman. But uh, hopefully he can spend this year kind of re, I don't know how to, how to say it, just almost redefining himself. He's really lost his lust over the last couple of seasons. Ever since Spider Attack basically got taken away, his numbers have just been almost awful. But he signed a one-year 3.75 mil with uh, deal with the Kansas City Royals. And then, of course, Tommy Pham will be going to the New York Mets. Again, another depth piece for Steve Cohen in that Mets offense. Um, Adam Duvall of the uh, Atlanta Braves, who we saw uh, for multiple seasons with there, he'll be going to the Boston Red Sox on a one-year $7 million deal. It looks like he's going to play center field for them. So Jared Duran could be spending more time in the minors or on the bench uh, right then there. want to get more veteran presence right then and there. Uh, Trey Mancini, he'll be going to the Chicago Cubs on a two-year deal. So interesting, again, the Cubs... Again, they're they're just they they've been one of the most busiest teams this offseason, kind of under the radar. So it's fun to see a guy like him go to the north side. And then last but not least, Andrew McCutcheon makes his return to Pittsburgh on a one-year deal. And I saw a funny tweet, Alex, because someone was saying, you know, why Pittsburgh? Um, what do you hope to achieve here? And I think Andrew McCutcheon said, Well, we're gonna win. Like I want to win here. And so uh most most Emily fans and analysts and all that no i mean i, I don't yeah, think there's a, there, there's a clear shot that pittsburgh is going to win this year so uh, i think it's more of just a feel good kind of hopefully maybe you end your career in pittsburgh could be mccutcheon's last year we'll see but out of all these deals alex you know most from are just either feel goods or just teams needing more depth the one i kind of wanted to talk about was just the trey mancini um with all these moves that chicago has made do, do you see any possible way the cubs can sneak in as a wild card contender i mean i i, I can definitely say right now they're going to be a top three in the nl central I, I i firmly believe that but do you see them at all making some sort of sneaky move to somehow get into this wild card i i'd be surprised if they made the playoffs but Travis, every year there's just some sort of teams that kind of surprise a little bit. So I think they're definitely in the they're in the pool of teams that I would say are not really in the playoff bubble, but are outside looking in within striking distance, right? Mm -hmm. If they have a if they have a kind of a hot first half, 
maybe maybe one month they just go on like a nice like 10 game win streak or something and then they go 500 the rest of the way i could see them making some sort of like i mean it's clear that they they want to win because they signed yep. swanson to a big contract they've been highly active on the free agency um making trades doing whatever it takes to kind of bring in some fresh faces bring in new talent i still don't really get the direction completely because i'll always criticize their offseason or sorry their trade deadline last year travis i don't get how you hang on to wilson Contreras yeah. and ian happ when you could have gotten some real stuff for them i mean you could probably have traded Contreras to the astros for like a top pitching prospect yep. you probably could have sent happ to the yankees and taken one of their prospects you know um but that being said I do think the organization organization has a commitment to winning. I think they're willing to spend. So because of those reasons, I could see them potentially making a push if they have a hot first start. I could. It's not out of the realm of possibility yeah. for them to be a playoff team because every year there are some teams that kind of surprise a bit. I think like the Phillies last year, Travis, especially after their start, everyone kind of counted them out and they kind of hit a groove the right way. I'm not saying that they're the Phillies. I don't think that they are. But, um, you know, I just think that given what they have, um, especially in that division, they could probably rack up some wins against the lower teams. And maybe if the Brewers kind of aren't the Brewers that we're used to, maybe we could even see the Cubs kind of be uh, on the same kind of tier as them for most of the year. And then, and then at that point, Travis, it comes down to the trade deadline, who kind of finishes hot. So I, 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 I'd be surprised if they made the playoffs, but I'm not going to rule it out because when a team kind of wants to win like that, I do respect it. Um, they might end up finding themselves in a little bit of no man's land where they don't have quite enough talent to make the playoffs, but they also aren't like in a tank mode either. So I'm not sure where they're going to end up, but they're definitely, I think, in a better spot than they were like last traded line. I remember when they held on to Wilson Contreras, I was like, he's going to leave for nothing, guys. Like, why yeah. didn't you trade him? He was having an all-star year. And, um, at that point, I was pretty down on the franchise, but they've really kind of retooled this offseason. Um, they're trying to make a push. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's there's things to like if you're a Chicago Cubs fan. Um, you also mentioned the Chapman trade or the Chapman signing, Travis, for the Royals. It, it's something that's really it's part of it's a head scratcher, but part of it also might be a sneaky like match made in heaven. Yeah, it's just a chance for chapman to try to get out of the bright lights of new york and not go to a big like if he went to like the dodgers or some other yeah. team that is really trying to win games i could see the pressure continuing to kind of pile on him whereas with the royals you're probably going to be their everyday closer i mean i'm not sure if that's if that's that's something that they might have talked about in the meeting like mm -hmm. he probably wants that kind of situation to rack up more career saves and all that stuff but it's a, it's a chance for him to kind of like you said find himself again uh kind of re-figure out, get his mojo back, which is all he probably really wants um, to get back to, not not back to peak Chapman, but at least to a guy who can stay in the league for like a handful of more seasons. And for the Royals, Travis, if nothing else, you get a hot first half from Chapman, maybe one really good month, all of a sudden you can trade him for a prospect. You yeah. know, a team might want that down the stretch. Yes. Let's bring in a big lefty that throws uh, mid to high 90s, and, and that, that could be useful, so... Um, it's probably a good gamble for the Royals. Like the worst case scenario, you just pay a guy to help you lose, and 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 that's you <laughs> yeah. probably want you probably want to lose anyways. Yeah. And and uh, you know Bobby Witt and those guys are probably not really ready to take the step to winning now. So I think a move makes sense, and I, I kind of. I kind of like how silly it seems of Chapman being in a Royals uniform, but you know that's where we're going to be in a couple months. Yeah, it's going to almost. I, I think is Amir Garrett still on the? Uh, I think he is. He still is. I. I both guys. Uh, they're just big, tall guys that are just you know massive 
fastballs and just big lefties. So they'll both be uh, both look exactly alike. And and I I definitely like what you said. I think that come July, come June, if he has a very good first half, excellent, excellent trade piece, someone that you can flip for again couple prospects one big prospect who knows it always is a team that needs a relief pitcher uh at the trade deadline to carry them on for the rest of the season last year angels sent Rysel Iglesias to the uh Atlanta Braves of course the return wasn't what we wanted but <laughs> as angel fans but um you know every year a team needs a reliever and Chapman could figure it out could get himself again and go back to a, uh, a contender and compete for a World Series championship maybe at the end of the season. But that's kind of like with some of these moves. I, I don't I don't know if McCutcheon is going to be a good trade piece. I think it's more of just a where you're going to finish your career at back at home in Pittsburgh. Um, and then Trey Mancini going back to him. I think that he could be a good platoon bat at a first base spot for the Chicago Cubs, you know, against lefties. Could crack a couple home runs out of Wrigley. But um I guess that really covers kind of the big news that's happened so far over the past week. You, you've seen some of the big uh, signings, of course, all slowing down. Nothing really huge coming out um, right now as we kind of transition into, you know, the start of spring training. Guys are gearing up. And then, of course, right now with Hall of Fame voting, there are still, of course, some good names uh, left out on the market. I know with Angels being linked to guys like Michael Waka, uh, Gary Sanchez, the big uh, Dominican uh, catcher who will be catching for the Dominican Republic team this uh, World Baseball Classic. We'll get into that in next episodes covering that. But Alex, I think it's safe to say, uh, it's all, is it Hall of Fame time? I think it is. And I'll actually, <laughs> I'll, I'll throw in one quick thing. I did find the Rod Carew tweet I was okay. referencing earlier. This is from the same day that it was announced that Artie was going to sell the Angels. I just I, I stumbled across it during the episode and it's just so it's just such an indictment. I just don't get how you can read this and take Artie's side. Rod Carew, obviously respected baseball hall of famer, uh advocate for the game and everything. He tweets, Well, this is happy news. I have renewed hope that my relationship with the Angels organization <laughs> can be fully restored. So it's just What's like? What do you mean fully restored? What what damage did Artie do to you, Rod? I'm yeah. sorry for whatever he put you through, and I'm sorry that it is going to have to continue because Artie <laughs> is not letting up, folks. But Travis, like you said, it is time for some Hall of Fame talk. The ballot, of course, has been talked about online for months now, and and we get a chance to Travis speak our thoughts. Who would we vote for? If we were voters for the Hall of Fame, who do we think wouldn't even make the cut at all? Mm -hmm. Why don't you kind of tell us where you want to start and we'll kind of get this, this show rolling? Yeah, we've seen months and months go by of, uh, you know, reporters, uh, media guys sharing their ballots. Stupid ballots, um, by the some way. Some guys actually basically posting uh, zero check marks saying no one on this list deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, which I just Jokes. find to be, uh, you should, I mean, I, not, I don't want to be too cruel, but you should be stripped of your right to vote because that's there not cruel are, enough. I know there are Hall of Famers on the ballot this year, but I'll kind of go down the list. I'll give some kind of introductory to, uh, to what we'll be talking about. So, of course, with the Hall of Fame ballot, uh, you need 75 percent of the votes to get into the Hall of Fame. And right now um, there are some guys that are you know trending more towards that direction. We'll see if they get in. But um, I think there's about there, there's a little bit over 400 voters that get an opportunity to vote for some of these guys um, to get in. And of course, you get 10 years um, to basically make your case to be a Hall of Famer. Now, of course, every year you need to achieve 5% or 
more of the vote every single year to stay on the ballot. If you dip below 5%, you will be removed from the ballot for basically forever. And, and now your only chance to get in would be um, through a uh, contemporary committee, which, you know, kind of just gets not a little icky, but it just gets confusing as, as you know, the committees go on and on and on. But um, this year, of course, on the ballot, I'll kind of, of course, introduce you the players that are on for their, uh, for, for another year. These guys have, are guys that have basically been getting 5% of the vote um, year after year. They're somewhere in between that two and 10 year mark. So I'll kind of start with the guys that are basically the highest and the closest to 75%. Um, we'll start with Scott Rowland, uh, who is at 63%. Todd Helton, who's at 52%. Billy Wagner, who's at 51%. Andrew Jones, who's at 41. Gary Sheffield, who's at 40. Alex Rodriguez, who's at 34. Jeff Kent, who's at 33. Manny Ramirez, who's at 29. Omar Vizquel, who's at 24. Andy Pennant, who is at 11%, Jimmy Rollins, who's at 9 Bobby Abreu, who's just about at 9%, and then Mark Burley and Torrey Hunter, both just slightly above the 5% mark, Burley at 5.8, Torrey Hunter at 5.3. So those are all guys that have been on the ballot for more than, uh, more than two years now. Um, and hopefully some of those guys will make cases. We'll kind of talk about what year they're on the ballot, where we see them kind of trending. Some guys that are in the 10th year, not even close to 75%. We'll talk about if they even have a shot to reach 75% this year. Um, and then we'll go over right now the first year ballot guys um, that, uh, of course, you know, this is the first time they'll be making their appearance on this ballot. Carlos Beltran, John Lackey, Jared Weaver, Jacoby Ellsbury, Matt Kane, Johnny Peralta, Jason Worth, J.J. Hardy, Mike Napoli, Bronson Arroyo, R.A. Dickey, Francisco Rodriguez, Andre Ethier, and Houston Street. Alex, I will say it's really fun because, I mean, we've seen all these guys play in their primes. We've got we've gotten to see and witness a lot of these first years play um, for teams of either on the Angels or for rivals. So I will say it's fun now to see some of these ballots as we get older uh, and we, we've seen these guys, you know, in the past, we did not see too much of Omar Vizquel. We didn't see too much of, uh, of, of Andy Pennant, even though we saw kind of his later half of his career, we didn't see too much of Jeff Kent or, uh, or Gary Sheffield. We saw basically the end of their careers, but it's fun to see a lot of these guys who we've watched for so long, like Jared Weaver, me and you were both fans when he made his debut at the angels. We were but... using these guys in video games. Travis. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Which is really cool to see. Cause a lot of these guys were, uh, were pimping home runs and MLB the show was seven or, you know, later on in slugfest or even the bigs with you on the Wii. Uh, that's Alex, right, baby. I, I could say Alex is a is a stud at the bigs on the Wii Nintendo Wii. Uh, so it, it was it was not really fair, honestly, Travis. <laughs> you you come into my house and play on me on the Wii. It was game over. But um, so Alex, let's kind of start off first with the first years. Um, I will be honest, and I will say a lot of these guys will be off after tomorrow. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of good talent, some all star talent, but to me, there's just not a good enough level of Hall of Fame talent, and that's where you got to really critique. And, uh, and and go into effect. And some guys, there is a little bit of a scandal, I would say, behind what basically they bring. Um, we'll talk about Carlos Beltran. There's just levels of scandal with there. And, and this will be interesting to see how he does this year. But um, looking at the first years, um, out, of, out of all the guys I said, um, there's really only two guys I can see. I should say it this way. There's two guys that I would hope get north of 5%. Um, 
and 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 are continue to stay on this ballot now of course there's one guy i really think should be a hall of famer and i can kind of slightly make his case um but two guys i hope get i, I see possibly getting north of five percent and almost hope they get north of five percent for me that's carlos beltran and that's francisco rodriguez those are the only two names i will say for me deserve to be on the ballot next year out of that list of what I think it's like 11 or it's it's actually 13 guys 13 14 guys Francisco Rodriguez K-Rod and Carlos Beltran only two guys I am hoping to have on the ballot next year give me who you got your first years when you look at that list do you see um, anyone on that list that should be on the ballot next year or do you see a guy that should be in the Hall of Fame right now tomorrow when the when the ballots come out um, give me your take on the first years yeah, we, we agree. Um, I do hope that Beltran and Francisco Rodriguez end up with over 5%. There's other guys who I like, and I wish that Weaver would get over, over 5% just yeah. for his own kind of... Um, he could feel good about himself and stuff like that. And and I like Lackey too, and there's other guys as well. I, I just think that... Um, I, I know the way the voters think, and, and those guys did not put up nearly enough uh stats and uh have enough of a reputation to kind of earn that five percent uh the only guys i agree that i think have a shot over five percent would be francisco rodriguez and beltron i personally think that k-rod um if i had to bet one way or the other i i i I missed if you said the percentage already Mm -hmm. did you already say the percentage for k-rod at the moment uh there's no percentage right now that i know about because it's his first year oh those are last year's icc yep yep yep, yeah because um there are some like preliminary like 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 you can look look at how many votes have been counted so far the problem is many of them are anonymous so Mm -hmm. though or like many of them are not like reported reported until like the last day so those like are going to change the figures quite a bit. So I'm not sure where he stands right now, K-Rod, but if I had to guess one way or the other, I would probably guess that he does not get 5%, yeah. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, when looking at guys like Papelbon and Joe Nathan in the past being one and dones, it, it doesn't give me hope. Right. Um, but hopefully guys can see a difference in K-Rod from some of these other guys. And I, I kind of can make a small case in a bit, but um, but let me... Let me hear what else you got to say about K-Rod or, or Beltran. Yeah. Um, well, so like you said, we'll, we can go more on K-Rod in a bit. For Beltran, like you said, it's going to be a fun conversation um, in the coming years just because of his link to the 2017 Astros. It was his last year Last year as a big league player. There has been speculation, for those that don't know, there's been speculation that he was one of the uh, key figures that implemented the sign-stealing scandal. Or like at least the trash can system, you know, the, the sign stealing scandal, the sign, someone in the front office made like a decoder, right? Or like uh, some way to like decode the other team's signs. But then I think Beltron was kind of one of these guys who, in my, in my guess, Travis, he probably was just wanted to end his career with some better production. Mm-hmm. And obviously you want to win games if you're out there. But he decided that he wanted to learn the signs. Uh, when he was up there, and uh, he a lot of a lot of his numbers were were better that year, I think, than than the years past. But I don't have that in front of me. Anyways, it will bring up a fun conversation, Travis, because um, the guys like Altuve and Bregman, who one day will be on the ballot, I wonder how one day will be judged. <laughs> they will be judged, and Travis. Yep. I'll tell you this. It's almost like you're going to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be put on a pedestal and every, there'll be a committee surrounding you and you'll be judged that day. But yeah. It's just, it just Rob Manfred at, at, the, at, the, at the gates <laughs> deciding who comes in and who doesn't. But um, but yeah, it, the the thing is Altuve and Bregman, Travis, they will be judged harder 
than a guy like Beltran, I feel like, just because they were the faces of the team at the yep. time. Yep. Even though I think Beltran kind of started it, and there's always been these talks from Astros players saying Altuve was the one who did, did it the least, you know? He's still going to get the brunt of the hate because he was the MVP that year and all this stuff. So um, I'm, I'm curious to see where the voting ends up for Beltran, and I'm curious to see where exactly how exactly it affects the other players in that team but let's get into the rest of the ballot challenge yep. we'll make a cases for guys we like and and, and uh, go go and take the lead yeah yeah so um like i said with the other guys on the ballot um i'll basically i'll cover the guys right now that are um nearing the end of their uh days on the ballot or years on the ballot and these are guys that are going to be um in the basically the seven through ten so you know they got to make some quick changes uh, you know, in the next couple of years or this year to to make a big case. But I'll start with the guys that only are on this is their seventh year on the ballot. That's Manny Ramirez. Seven years on the Hall of Fame ballot. He only has a 28.9% of the vote. So if you look at kind of the math, he'll 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 need a double and more his um you know his chance on the um on the ballot, almost, almost, you know, triple his percentage of the vote to get into the Hall of Fame. And like I said, it's his seventh year, so he'll have to do a lot of, um, he'll have to get a lot of help to to make his way to seventy five percent. You're almost looking at ten percent increases every single year, and you can kind of get into the percentages of what you'll need. But that's a lot of people's um, thinking, and a lot of a lot of a lot of analysts, and, and just the way they go about judging players now of course Manny Ramirez was linked to steroids that's going to be one of the biggest things that's going to hold him back when you look at the numbers Alex I mean if you have a guy that has a 996 career OPS you're almost you almost have a thousand OPS that is inner circle hall of fame in my opinion right then and there not many guys can have that sort of mark um you know have a batting average north of 300 an on-base north of 400 and a slugging north of 500. Th those are good career marks right there. So um, also 500 home runs for Manny Ramirez, but the steroids are going to be a big, big problem for him. I personally can say, Alex, I don't think he gets in the next, in the next, you know, three or four years, how many years he's on the ballot, but he is at 28.9% uh, for the, for, and he's in the seventh year um, guys who are in their eighth year. That is Billy Wagner, um, an all time great closer, uh, only 51% of the vote. So again, he'll have to make up about 25% of the vote to achieve baseball immortality into the Hall of Fame. Um, and I'll kind of cover his numbers as well as we go on, but he is at year number eight. Uh, year number nine, Gary Sheffield, another guy that had been linked to steroids. He is at 40.6. So he's actually beneath Billy Wagner when it comes to the percentage of votes. So again, Gary Sheffield's going to need about an additional 40% or so to basically make himself a Hall of Famer. Uh, I don't see it happening. You're going to have to basically, I, I, again, the percentage of, of voters, you're going to have to change and flip to get your case in. It, it's going to be something that I don't think has ever been done before. I don't think anyone's ever been at 40% in year nine has gotten in. Um, and then one guy, Alex, I will talk about uh, that I think, you know, I, I make a case for him. I would hope he'd be in the Hall of Fame. He's not going to make it this year, sadly, but that's Jeff Kent. He's in his last year. He's at a 32.7% of the vote. So again, he'll, he would need an insane, insane turnaround this year uh, to get himself into the Hall of Fame. But I guess kind of talking with those guys, Alex, Manny Ramirez, Jeff Kent, Billy Wagner, and Gary Sheffield, the two guys I am very big on voting for would be Jeff Kent and Billy Wagner. Um, I'll start with Billy. Billy Wagner... 
yes, he did not have a lot of innings pitch compared to other closers or other other relievers when you critique those things. But one number that really stands out, a, a 187 ERA plus, Alex. And right now, if he would have pitched 97 more innings in his career, he would be on baseball references. Um, he would he would have he would have basically have he would have uh, qualified for he would like, have qualified for that. He'd yeah. be second place right now, and by a very good margin. Yeah, he he's second best ERA plus of all time if you uh, consider really pitchers. Yeah, yeah, and, and and right now he ranks. Let's see, right now he ranks sixth all time when it comes to saves at four hundred and twenty two. That's one guy I, I'm just kind of it's – it's a head-scratcher. He does not get a lot of love every year because he's a reliever, but it seems like he's slowly getting higher and higher and higher. Hopefully that will turn out to have more respect for uh, closers and relief pitchers in the future because I think there's a lot of hate with them. But you look at a guy like Billy Wagner. Um, he's not in the Hall of Fame, but a guy like Lee Smith is in the Hall of Fame. Lee Smith is a great closer and a good MLB player, and he, he definitely holds a good spot in MLB history. But – I see a guy like Billy Wagner being a little bit more, actually not a little more, a lot more automatic than Lee Smith. Just the numbers that they point to. Billy Wagner, in my opinion, should be a Hall of Famer. And then Jeff Kent. Um, the numbers, I guess, if you, the, the numbers don't look good if Jeff Kent plays first base, third base, or a corner outfield spot. But being a second baseman that had a, a 500 slugging percentage and an 855 OPS um, and some, of course, some of the best power hitting numbers for a second baseman. To me, I can't ignore that. Um, Jeff Kent, in my opinion, I think besides Robinson Cano, Jeff Kent has the most home runs of a second baseman in, in baseball history. So uh, I like what he brought. He was an MVP winner. He beat out his own teammate, Barry Bonds, in the year 2000. I like what Jeff Kent brings out of those two guys. Gary Sheffield, Manny Ramirez, all-timers. But I guess I, I don't want to go against what I was saying last year, Alex, but if, of course, there is steroids allegations and, of course, you are caught, I, I don't 100% know if Sheffield was caught. That there, There's there's so many guys that I guess I can say it, it, there, was a, there was a Mitchell report. It, it gets, again, baseball is a L funny sport. A lot of gray area. A lot of gray area. But when that speculation comes out um, and, and guys were, of course, linked to it, I know Manny, it was public. Manny, I think Manny got busted twice. twice. Yeah. So, um, And then he went and destroyed the Japanese league or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But out of those four guys who are kind of on their uh on their last go around for the ballot, I would I would hope in my in my, you know, if it was up to me, Jeff Kent and Billy Wagner are in for me. Out of those four guys, Alex, give me kind of your takes on them. What what would you see from from all four of those guys? So, I know you have a a very of course different, you know, uh criteria when you do of, these judging on these ballots. Sure. Yeah. Um yeah, last year we had disagreements on some of the steroid guys like Bonds and Clemens and A-Rod and stuff like that. Um, but when it comes to Manny and Sheffield, we actually agree. Mm -hmm. um, Manny's tough for me because I he I think if I had to guess, it, obviously it's just kind of speculation. But mm -hmm. if I just predict, if I just if you just did a simulation, like a hundred career paths for Manny Ramirez and you just take out steroids from all of them, right? I think in most of them, in most of the timelines he could have lived, if he never did steroids, he probably would have good enough numbers to yeah. be a Hall of Famer, yeah. or just as a hitter. Obviously, he was not a good fielder, but there are DHs, Travis. I mean, just 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 recently, uh, Harold Baines was inducted in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I think Manny Ramirez is probably like his probably his like 14th best season would be like would be <laughs> yes. like off, offensively at least yes. would be like a top five hitting season for Harold Baines. So like 
I just think that there's some of these uh, uh, stats cases you can make for Manny. He is really one of the best right-handed hitters at his peak in MLB history, truly. But the fact that you got busted twice for steroids in the era where they were testing and punishing, suspending players, it's not like it was the 90s Wild Wild West where mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you see your teammates doing it, having career years, and they're not getting in trouble and everyone knows they're doing it. So then you feel bad and you do it too. It wasn't like that. Manny did it when he knew they were testing people all the time every year. He knew people were getting suspended for it. He did it anyways, got caught probably apologized or something, then did it again and got caught again. So it's yeah. like, that's just such a tough spot to be in. So I, I, I'm I'm probably agreeing with you that he's, for me, he's not in the same boat as like a Bonds or a Clemens who they probably just did it to compete with their peers yeah. and to kind of show we are better than these guys who are doing it. So that's my thought on on Manny. And Sheffield, for me, Travis, he, didn't, he never had a, a failed test, I don't believe, but he did, I think he admitted... I was doing some research before the episode to make sure I had it, the story straight, and it's still it's still confusing, of course. Yeah. There's always this kind of confusion and blurred lines, but what I read was that Sheffield admitted to accidentally doing steroids, or like a <laughs> yeah. trainer like rubbed a cream on him, and like I don't Tatis. know, I don't know if he knew it or not. Yeah, it could be like a Tatis type Ring deal, warm. but um, and then and then. Just based on the fact that everyone of Sheffield's era was doing it, you know, yes. I, I do think it was quite likely that he did do it. And and if if you admit, just you tell me if you agree or not. If someone, if you suspect that someone's like being dishonest, and you ask them about it, and they say, "Oh well, yes, I did it, but I didn't know about it." Doesn't that make you think like you probably did know about yeah, it, right? It's yeah. like I don't think, tell me you don't know what's going on in your body. Yeah, yeah, it's like I think that you want to admit to it so you can have that like relief of like no longer having yeah. to lie but you don't want to be guilty so you say you yeah either way yeah. i don't want to like do a character judgment even though that is like part of the criteria apparently but yes yeah um i personally think that for me the big thing with sheffield maybe i would forgive him if he had manny ramirez numbers but in my opinion he he does not some of his peak years are very very special um in terms of like the ops plus stuff it, mm-hmm. it's very good years but he just barely squeaked over 500 home runs. He's the kind of guy where, I mean, I think he did steroids. And if he didn't, he probably would be maybe be like a tick under that. You know, I'm not yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, that's speculation. But um, if his numbers were Manny Ramirez type, I'd probably have to think about it a little bit harder. But since he's barely a 500 club guy and there's the steroid links, I think that production might not be good enough. Whereas for me, that guy like Bonds or A-Rod, it's like you were like, 200 yeah. plus home runs more than Sheffield. That's a big difference yeah. for me. So I can almost forgive the steroids a bit more, but that's another conversation. Um, and, and then, and I'll, I'll say one thing about Clemens and Bonds because I did not have them last year on the ballot that I didn't vote for. But it, you're right about that. How even Bonds was just it was it was almost like he was in a class of the elite, like greater than the elite. You know, it, it's right. it, it's in a you know with Sheffield. It's like if you didn't do steroids. Yeah, you'd probably finish with 440 home runs. You might finish with some worse, you know, OPS slugging numbers. And then you kind of look at it, and you might not, of course, at all be on the ballot for more than two or three years. But now you're on the ballot for nine years. So that's why it's getting greater, you know, uh, consideration. Manny, of course, he has insane numbers. And if he didn't take steroids, I think, yeah, you know, there's probably a really good case. He's still going to be a Hall of Famer. But with the error that they were checking so many times, he gets caught two times. 
it's kind of like, all right, like where, where's your head at now? Because if, if, if you're doing it multiple times, you're kind of just saying, you know, screw the league, screw what they think I'm going to, I'm going to be on my own. And that's of course what voters don't like to see. They don't want to have that ego of a guy that just thinks he's better than the rest. And so, um, I, I do think that that should take into account where it's like, oh my God, he did steroids and he was putting up like God on top of God numbers like Bonds. What he but he did. was mean to us after the game, yeah. Travis. So I'm not going to vote for him. Yeah. But yeah. Sheffield was nice. So I'll vote. It's just, it's exactly. just, I hate the voter. They bring their personal stuff into it. But um, you also mentioned uh, K Rod. Um, yep. I think that K Rod, wait, no, sorry. I meant to go Wagner. You oh, meant, oh, yes. Yeah. You mentioned Wagner. Um, I truly think Travis, there is a very good case that if you're just picking like the best version of a, of a, of a pitcher, uh, I think that Mariano is probably number one. And I think that there's probably a good gap between, uh, number two being Billy Wagner and whoever number three is. Yeah, I think that yeah. he is up there with Mariano and they're kind of on an Island. I think that what he did in his career, um, Obviously, the innings pitch is something that writers are always going to point to as like a ding or they're trying to knock him for. But like you mentioned, the ERA plus is second best all time to Mariano Rivera. The ERA is second best all time to Mariano Rivera. And that's excluding like the dead ball era guys, I believe. Um, and then the, uh, the FIP is second all time, I believe, to uh, Tom Hankey, which surprised me. Yep. Um, the strikeout percentage is the best of all time, minimum 750 innings pitched. Um, this is amongst, sorry, this is amongst retired relief pitchers. Mm -hmm. And then the whip is first uh, all time best amongst retired relief pitchers. So we're talking about a guy, Travis, who really in his best was the best closer of his generation, minus the guy who was the unanimous Hall of Fame, the only unanimous Hall of Fame vote getter in Mariano Rivera. So, it's really annoying to me, Travis, if he does not get in, um, just because it's just a classic case of the voters favoring the guys who had like the name, right? Yeah. The Lee Smiths, the Goose Gossages. I mean, I'm not saying these guys don't deserve it, but the Goose Gossages, the, uh, of course, Dennis Eckersley, who we both like a lot, Raleigh Fingers. We think these guys deserve it, right? Yes. But at the same time, just because those guys have bigger names, were on like these really elite teams and like had all this like the playoff moments. Yeah. yeah. And, and they, had, they had this kind of clout for me. That's the only reason why they could ever get in, but not Wagner. Cause you look at the numbers, I'm taking Wagner every day. Yes. Yeah. Those guys are usually pitched longer just because in their eras, they let those guys go for multiple innings. Oftentimes they would pitch those guys, you know, a hundred innings pitch in a season, which is just not something you see anymore at all from relievers. Wagner's a bit more modern in that regard than some of those other guys. But for me, Travis, I think I could very, very easily make a, a, a statistical case that Billy Wagner is the second best relief pitcher of all time on a rate basis, not in terms of longevity, obviously, but I, for when I'm talking about the second best pitcher ever, I don't care if he pitched 800 or 900 or a thousand innings. It's all close enough to me yeah. where I can say, this guy was elite at putting guys away. The strikeout numbers show it. The ERA shows it. Pretty much everything shows it. Um, even as he got older, he was still really elite, like on the Phillies and stuff. Like he had some really yeah. good years even after leaving Houston. So um, Billy Wagner for me, Travis, um, is an easy pick. I'm really, really hoping he gets in. If he doesn't, mm -hmm. um, 
I'm going to have some serious rants about it <laughs> yeah. and complain a lot online. But that's just the way I like to do things. But And then there was one more person. Uh, Jeff Kent. Jeff Kent. Um, Jeff Kent is someone, Travis, who I've been kind of back and forth with in the past. But as of right now, especially because it's his last year, I'm definitely leaning towards yes for him. Uh, I just think that he, you know, he has this case that you mentioned where the offensive output as a second baseman is definitely some of the best we've seen. Probably... Could be the best of the modern era. Definitely up there yep. with guys like, you know, some of the legends like Joe Morgan mm-hmm. and, and these other types. But, you know, ever since like, you know, excluding the guys like before, like excluding Rogers Hornsby pretty much, we're talking about one of the best second basemen office, offensively of all time. Um, I think that the MVP might help him a bit. But like, if you look at those numbers, Travis, I really don't know if he should have been MVP that year. There were some other good hitters that year. Of course. In the National of course, League. But, yep. but, um, I try to ignore that kind of stuff and just look at the numbers. And I think that uh, something that stands out to me, uh, I want to make sure I have this right, but something that stands out to me is just like um, just some of the objective stats. So if I look at a, sorry, a 55.4 base reference war, Mm -hmm. for me, that's definitely good enough. 377 home runs from a second baseman is definitely good enough Mm -hmm. um, to make the Hall of Fame for, for, I guess, what I consider being worthy um, and then, yeah, I mean, I think he was also on some pretty good teams. I know the voters care about that. So I thought that he'd get more kind of credit at this point in his career. But it's just a classic example, Travis, I think of voters. They kind of fantasize about these older names and some of the guys already in the hall. But second baseman is not like a super, super deep Hall of Fame position, right? It's not like outfield or starting pitcher where there's like tons of guys. Um, I would have thought they would have jumped at the opportunity to put in another good second baseman. But um at, as it stands like you're right i'm thinking he's training like he's not going to get in which is too bad from my opinion it is and i think the big number for me that i just i it stands out is is i don't know how many times how many people how many second basemen have a 500 slugging percentage or higher um that to me that's one big number that just really wowed me um the average the on base there's been tons of second basemen in history that have achieved those marks but a 500 slugging that to me is really impressive just because you're providing that power at the second base spot. Now, of course, again, it to me, it's it's funny how a position can really change how you think of a player. Now, like I said, if Jeff Kent played corner infielder, corner outfield, he would probably be on the ballot for three years and then he's out of there. So um, it, it, it's 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 fun to see when you compare him with other positions that you're putting together that offensive output. Uh, that that's one big reasons why I still have him, you know, on my list. And then of course, some of the other numbers as well. Um, you know, when you look at, you know, war, of course, too, that's justifiable to get in. And then of course, just the counting stats, the 377 home runs. I have to look and check. I don't know if Robinson Cano holds the, uh, second base home run, um, I don't think he does. I can tell you right now. Okay. He does not. Okay. Cano is at 335. Kent's at 377. Kent leads second baseman. Okay. Okay. He does and, lead second baseman, which, and, which I would have thought would have been a really good argument for voters because they like those counting stats. They like the home runs. I thought they would have been like, how could we not put the all-time leader of home runs for the second base spot in the Hall of Fame? So, And, and Travis, I, I do love your slugging percentage argument, which is why I looked up the second baseman leaderboards, mm-hmm. which is how I got that last stat so quick, mm-hmm. but I already had it up. So I, I just I just pulled up these. This is a all second baseman sorted by slugging. Um, if I'm going to ignore the guys who did not play a 1,000 games in their careers, yep. number one is Rogers Hornsby. Number two is Jeff Kent. Wow. So he's right there wow. second. And then after him, of course, you're getting other legends of the game, Hall of Famers. So 
the, Eddie Collins, Joe Morgan, the, those kind the, of guys. The, the, the next best guy is going to be Cano, who has steroid allegations. And then it's Geringer, Hall of Famer, Jackie Robinson, Hall of Famer. Then you go to the next up is going to be Altuve, who obviously has That'll a case fun. to be made. <laughs> yeah. And then it's other Hall of Famers who I've honestly never heard of, like Tony Lazari. Um, then you see a guy like Joe Gordon, Hall of Famer, Naplejoie, Hall of Famer. The list goes on of Hall of Famers. So um, it's very interesting to see, Travis, that he is towards the he's second place, yeah, essentially, yeah. for slugging and first place for home runs for second baseman. Yet he is not even getting that much credit from these voters. And another another stat that um, I, I know they care about, but I mean, RBI is 15, uh, you know, 1,500 or more RBIs for a second baseman. That's another thing I'd have to, I'd, you'd have to look up as well to see. He's third behind Naplejoie and Rogers Hornsby. I, I I I mean I think those two those three stats are you know not not the new school of thinking when you look at some of these other you know advanced advanced stats. But, but I just you think like the voters would like it? They, they they would love that. I I just cannot imagine if you said give me a second baseman who is top three in home runs, RBIs, and slugging, and Jeff Kent's on that list. So to me. Jeff Kent is a Hall of Famer. He, of course, will not. Um, betting man, he will not be voted into the Hall of Fame, of course. Now he'll have to go into the um, the committee or council voting that and happens. I'll even tell you this. On, but. I'll even tell you this. Um, I don't think of him as like a, as like a crazy contact guy, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Jeff Kent, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. But – if you ignore Julio Franco, who I don't, he just played a really long time, and mm -hmm. I don't even, he's not, he's not, he's not a full time second baseman. Yeah. Um, if you ignore him, the only guy above him in terms of all time hits second base that's not in the Hall of Fame is Cano, who of course has the steroid wow. stuff. So wow. everyone else above him, there's probably like ten or so guys. It's all these, of course, Hall of Famers with three thousand hits or high two thousands of hits. Yep. But then you get down to Cano. Uh, Julio Franco, which is kind of an oddball, but then Jeff Kent, and there's more Hall of Famers below them, like uh, like Ryan Sandberg and these mm -hmm. other guys. So there's probably more stats you can look at too. I mean, over 500 doubles in his career. He the, the guy was just a, a great extra base hit machine for being a second baseman. Um, and Alex, one thing that's funny too, he spent majority of his career. He spent a lot of a lot of time with a number of different teams, but he spent most of his years with the San Francisco Giants. Now, of course, they had some good winning seasons, and I'm pretty sure that's the reason why he's got his MVP in 2000. Um, but I, I, just imagine if he played somewhere else. Imagine if he played in a hitting-friendly ballpark. We're looking at a guy that has probably north of 400 home runs. He probably, do, he probably does not win the MVP, of course, that season. Maybe he does if he's on a team that's a contender, but if he's on a team that really isn't making that much noise, he probably doesn't win the MVP. But uh, again, I look at some of these stat lines where you say, man, he's first in home runs, and he played for a team like the Giants where it is just an extremely pitching-friendly ballpark. Um, and I know OPS Plus calculates a lot of that stuff, which is, OPS Plus numbers are not, they're not good, but they're not bad. They're, they're definitely in a good sweet spot of 123, especially for a second baseman. But um, I, I look at all these factors and I just wonder, again, I, I don't I don't understand why voters probably did not like and give the nod to this guy uh, for being a Hall of Famer. But again, um, maybe he makes the jump. Maybe <laughs> Maybe he gets that extra, what, 40... 43 or 42 percent vote uh you know jump by tomorrow but um from some of the ballots i've been seeing alex i don't see his name on the, on the check mark list so it does not give me hope at all but um that basically covers i guess those four guys that were kind of nearing the end of their time on the ballot um let's now jump alex to the guys that are kind of in the middle of their uh basically the middle of their life lifeline on the uh, on the hall of fame ballot their life cycle on this ballot um we'll go from year six down to year four um 
And this is going to include a lot of guys that are actually in the top half of the voting right now. So guys that are in their sixth year of the voting, that's going to be Scott Rowland, who is at a 63.2%. Uh, Andrew Jones, who's at a 41.4%. Omar Vizquel, who's at a 23.9%. Um, and then going down to the fifth year on the ballot, you're looking at Andy Pennant, who's at a 107 Todd Helton, who's at a 52%. And then going to the four years on the ballot right now, there's only yeah, there's only one guy, and it's Bobby Abreu, who is at an 8.6. Um, so out of all those guys that I mentioned, I think it was about four or five of them. Um, I, I really will say, Alex, the guys that I see only making, um, you know, guys that I think I would vote for and guys that I really can see making the ballot or making the Hall of Fame over the next couple of seasons um, Scott Rowland is a guy that I would vote for. I think his numbers are very impressive. A 70 war, a 70 war gets you in, in my book. Um, the defense being almost like an Arenado esque that we saw, uh, that we've been seeing for the last 10 years That's Scott Rowland. And then of course, being a very good producer at the plate, 855 OPS for Scott Rowland. He deserves my vote. Todd Helton. That's one guy. Again, I, I kind of always debate every single year. He should be a hall of famer. He has a 61.8 war um he has 369 home runs not a lot for the first base spot he's more of a contact doubles guy but a 316 batting average a 414 on base and a 539 slug he's got an ops north of 950 i i i, I can look at that mark alex and say that's a hall of famer in my eyes so todd helton still climbing the links and, and hopefully he can make his way up there um, Andrew Jones, um, you know, actually I'll save him for the last part. Cause that, that, that's, that's an interesting one. I, I know me and you can get into a, a good argument or at least a good debate there on, on what we, how we see him being voted, but guys that are lower on the ballot, you know, the sixth, fifth and fourth year guys, guys like Omar Vizquel at 23.9, he's actually trending downwards because of a, I think a domestic violence, uh, uh, allegation, and, and I think sexual assault stuff. So yeah, it's just not, not, oh, pretty, not pretty Omar. I never, he never had my vote. Um, I don't think an 82 OPS plus guy deserves to be a hall of famer, even though the defense is spectacular. I just don't see a defensive only guy, you know, being a huge presence for a hall of fame. So Omar, uh, would not get my vote. I don't think he's going to get in. Andy Pennant at a 10.7. Um, he, he's not going to get my vote. There, um, there's PED stuff there. There's PEDs too. A 3.85 ERA, a 117 ERA plus. Now, I know he pitched in the in the steroid era, but that to me, that's just not going to get in, 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 in my criteria. So Andy Pennant, I don't think he's going to get in. And then, of course, talking about Bobby Abreu. Um, Bobby Abreu is an interesting one. I, I, I the sixty WAR is very impressive. That that's a big surpriser right there. Sixty WAR. You know, look at so many guys in the Hall of Fame who have who have you know wars under sixty. There's there's quite a few of them. But Bobby Abreu with a sixty WAR, a contact driven left or right fielder. I think he played majority of his time in right field. But I mean, a, a three ninety five on base, a two ninety one batting average. You know, he he had the makings, and it still is a very good ball player. I don't think he gets in, Alex. I I personally wouldn't vote for him, but it, it, he's he's definitely on that that threshold of I think he's right below of what deserves to be a Hall of Famer in my book. But I I, I don't think he'll get in, and, and I wouldn't vote for him right now. But um, one thing that of course impresses me with Bobby Abreu is the power and the speed. I mean I I mean you look at 288 home runs and also 400 stolen bases. Um, he, he's got a very impressive resume. 
And he's a guy that I know you'll be looking to debate me right now, right, right as we talk. But <laughs> he sees um, my look right now. Exactly, exactly. But um, let's talk about uh, first. Let's talk about the cases for Vizquel, Pettit, and Abreu. Um, if you got any for all three of those guys. Yeah, for we'll start with Vizquel. Um, for me, he was never a Hall of Famer, like you said. We agree on that. Even before the allegations of past scandals, I do think that the offensive production was very, very poor. Just kind of hit for contact, and not even at an elite contact level. Just at a very kind of average contact level. I know, like he's like this, like twenty eight hundred hit kind of guy. So I mean, th there's definitely a world where he plays two more seasons and gets three thousand hits and becomes like this kind of extra debate almost. But I think the defense he brought forth might have even been a bit overrated. Uh, I think some of the advanced metrics don't like love him. He just played for a really long time, so a lot of him to kind of accrue like the defensive run save stats. He also accrued a lot of extra hits because of that. And and he 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 played a very clean shortstop, obviously, but. Um, he, he was not getting my vote beforehand. And then just given all the extra negative media attention hurts his case that much more. Um, you don't want someone uh, representing your sport on an international, uh, you know, a, a, such a big day as like an induction for a hall of fame who has all these negative allegations going on. So pretty easy to leave him off my ballot personally. Um, next up, I will go to who was it besides Abreu? Uh, Andy Pettit. I'll go Pettit. Uh, for me, Travis, honestly, I really like the numbers. I think the numbers are pretty dang good. Mm -hmm. um, some good peak years, played on some really big teams, obviously. A lot of good teams, yeah. Um, yeah, he was he kind of the playoffs followed him, right? When he went from yes. the Yankees to the Astros, the the playoffs followed the Astros, and he had some good games, obviously. But um, for me, the PEDs kill it. Of course, there's no way I think that you can. Uh, there's no way you'd have to be like a Clemens type to be a starting pitcher that gets uh can kind of survive the PED scandals. Um he also kind of did it we believe he did it like fault like Clemens probably did it in I'm not I don't want to actually never mind. I'm not going to speculate and like make up the <laughs> yeah. I really don't know when Clemens did it and when Pettit did it. So I'm not going to try to guess and, and make up years, but I assume that Clemens was kind of more in the Bonds era whereas Pettit might have been a little bit afterwards, but but either way Travis Pettit for me I really am impressed by the war number being a 60 war starting pitcher. He does have five World Series and a ALCS MVP. So there's stuff to like for sure. You're right. The ERA, especially in some of his like what should be his prime, Travis, like in the late 90s, early 2000s, you see like a 4-7 war in one year, a 4-3-5 war, which at, off the jump, it seems e e like ERA or, or ERA, yes. Oh, ERA, okay, okay. Off the jump, that seems pretty bad. Yeah. But actually, all those years were average or above average based yeah. on ERA plus, just mm -hmm. because the steroid era really inflated those numbers. But you're right; the best ERA plus seasons of his career are not even that high. Um, the war just kind of is impressive because he pitched a lot and he pitched during a really tough era. So I can see the case, but the steroids kill it for me. Um, and then I does, will wait. So does he get your vote or no? No, no. Okay. He's not getting my okay. vote. And then and what I will say about Pennant, just to just to briefly stop, is that it's funny when you look at his postseason pitching, Alex, and you look at basically he's kind of like Derek Jeter, where Derek Jeter played almost a full MLB season in the postseason. When you yes. look at the numbers, just because of every single year as a playoff appearance, a nineteen and eleven record, a three point eight one 
ERA in his entire postseason career. Um, 276 and two thirds innings pitched. So it's almost a full, it's almost a mega full season that he's pitching. I mean, it's, I mean, who wouldn't want those numbers in the postseason when you have certain guys that pitch very well, certain Hall of Fame pitchers that go into the postseason and their ERAs are north of five, you know? So I, I will say, if you almost had to make an all time playoff team, Pettit is a guy you almost would want to see as a number five or, you know, in that five man rotation just from all the success he's had there. So that's one thing I will add about him. And then I'll move on to Bobby Abreu now, Travis. I think, as you know, as I made the case last year, I am a big fan of Bobby Abreu. He is someone who, Travis, if you just mentioned, if you just watched a bunch of Bobby Abreu gameplay, you watched his highlight reel or whatever, and you said, is this guy a Hall of Famer? The answer would be no, right? The, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. look at him, you look at his play, he was a good player, not a great player, right? That's what that's what you would say. But I think when you look at the numbers, a lot of people will be pleasantly surprised by what they find. I think that he is one of the more unique players that I've ever had to kind of consider on a ballot. The 60 war is very good. Like you mentioned, it's, it's a great number to be at um, just 30 hits shy from being a 2,500 hit guy. 291 career average is pretty solid as well. So he had the contact kind of working for him, but the big thing for me, Travis, you mentioned it already. The on base was super, super special. His prime years, he's going well above 400 on base year after year after year after year on this kind of a, a little bit before we kind of realized how good on base percentage was mm -hmm. he's doing this in the late 90s early 2000s kind of almost in the money ball a's era where they, they, they were figuring it out but not a lot of teams were kind of following that suit the 395 career on base percentage is very very good um for bobby abreu it's probably one of the best of all non-hall of famers yeah i'm mean, assuming he's not going to get in i trust i'll just tell you this i know he's not going to get in right it, yeah. it's yeah. It, it's too bad in, in my book but um a 295 on base is really good a 475 slugging too so it's not like it's it's not like it's a 390 on base with the yes 400 slugging like the slugging is also very solid um, and then just looking at some of his other things he brought to the table, Travis, he was a prolific and dynamic base stealer. He was very good at stealing bags. Um, also, Travis, when you watch him run, he doesn't look like he's running that fast. No, yeah. But he, he, but yeah. he actually is surprisingly quick and efficient on the base paths. Um, he did have a 40 steal season in 2004, several other seasons above 30 steals. Um, just so much to like. I mean, some of these seasons, Travis, he had like what one two three four like nine straight years of being over 100 walks like this guy just was kind of sneaky a super modern day like high value player almost like i'm thinking like brandon nimmo vibes almost but you would mm -hmm. never kind of both guys look different <laughs> they look they look and play pretty different i'd yeah. say but but abreu had this consistency travis where he's like above a 130 ops plus for like six seven straight years in his prime um, his overall career OPS plus is 128. Maybe you want a little bit higher out of a Hall of Fame right fielder. Yeah. But I think what he brought with the on base, with the base running, it really kind of shows in his war of how valuable he actually really was. Um, and then, yeah, I think he also, just to boot, he was on some really um, big teams, some teams that made noise in the playoffs, if you care about that kind of thing. He's on some good Yankee teams. He's on an Angels team, Travis, that uh, was, of course. Legendary in our lifetime, yeah. Big for us, considering yeah. we didn't have that much to root for um, throughout <laughs> ever, ever since then, let's put it that yes, way. Yes, yeah. The 2009 Angels team was a very, very fun team to watch, yeah. It was special. Yeah. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, comparing him to some other Travis right fielders of his time, um, or just maybe in general for the Hall of Fame kind of consideration, he actually does have more career 
Let me just double check. I'm getting this right. Yeah, he has more career war than Vladimir Guerrero, who was a Hall of Famer on his second ballot. Mm-hmm. Am I saying he's better than Vladimir Guerrero? Um, I'm not going to say yes, but I'm also not going to say no. I think it's actually a lot tougher of a discussion when you really look at a lot of the numbers. Guerrero was the better power hitter for sure. Probably a bit better at contact as well, but Abreu was probably advantage defense, advantage base running, advantage discipline for sure because we know Guerrero... Guerrero swung out balls at his feet, right? And he yeah. made good he made good plays out of it. But um, I really like Abreu's discipline. Uh, There's so much to like about Abreu's case, in my opinion, even though many people don't see it that way because they can't see past the fact that when they watched his career go, go through, you never once were watching him and said, this guy is a Hall of Fame track. You never thought that. But I think when you look back at the numbers, there's some really special stuff going on that um, unfortunately will get swept under the rug because there, I think there's just no chance he gets in Personally, I think you agree with that. So, um, I, I think I presented it all last uh, last year when we did this. Yep. But um, there's all these exclusive clubs, Travis, that he's in. Where if you like, if you just filter baseball reference to like over 400 career uh, doubles, over 400 career steals, over like 300 home runs, it's like very few guys. And it's like him. Yes. And, it's like him and Bonds and Mays. It's like yes. he's just very elite company for some of this stuff. Um, but you know, like we said many times. There was no Hall of Fame vibe whatsoever. So yeah. um, for that reason, I think he won't get in. But he, Travis, I'll just put put it this way. He would definitely have my vote. I am on Bobby Abreu Island just because he needs to get some <laughs> yeah. rep- representation. But I don't expect it to go very far. It, it's I, it's a very when – you, when you take a deep dive in the numbers, it's something that surprised you. And you, you're exactly right when you said if you watch this guy with an eye test, you know, he, he doesn't really appear and look like a hall of famer. We watched him play for several seasons. And of course we, I, I watched him when he was on, when he was a Yankee um, briefly when he was a Philly, I, I just feel like there, that was a, that was a time that, you know, he, I don't think he was really making a lot of noise because there was so many other performers out there that were, that were so much better than him. Yeah. They were probably using steroids, but I mean, a right fielder in the NL, there's probably, a, probably 10 other guys that were, um, you know, had better seasons or better primes than Bobby, Bobby Abreu in those early 2000s, late 90s. But the numbers overall, in general, a very, very nice ball player. If you looked at Bobby Abreu 20 years ago and you said you can get this type of player right now, I think most guys would say sign me up. Like this is just a, a flat. The, the, there's really no weaknesses in his game. It's just a stud, honestly. It, it, and, it's and, every five, every tool that he's got is, or all five tools he's got, and he performs at above average. If, if you'd say it's not like oh he's got really bad defense, but he's an all-time great slugger. No, he's he's just consistent in all of the tools that he plays with. So I'm just having fun over here, Travis, on my phone, just playing with baseball <laughs> reference. I, I'm looking at this. This is a this is leaderboards for like all right fielders, right? Yeah. If I look at all time walks, he's only behind Babe Ruth, which of course was yeah legend, yeah. but but he's before the color barrier broke. Yeah. Mel Ott before the color barrier broke, and then it's Stan Musial. And then Bobby Abreu. Abreu is fourth all-time in walks for yeah. right fielder. Wow. For doubles, Travis, he is fourth all-time behind Stan Musial, Hank Aaron, and then Paul Wainer, which was before the color barrier. So wow. only only two to one or two guys pre or post-color barrier have more doubles or uh impressive, yeah. Or, or walks than Bobby Abreu, which Travis, I think if you talked about all-time right field leaderboards you do not expect him to be anywhere near the top 10 of any of those stuff but, but he actually all. is in some of this stuff not so at all not it, at all it, it's impressive to me um alex let's now transition over to the other three guys that we we're talking about that are on the um I, I would say the they're they're at least knocking on the door to the hall of fame and these are the guys that are in their six um 
sixth year or fifth year. Uh, so let's start with the two guys that are in their sixth year. Scott Rowland, 63.2%, and Andrew Jones, 414 um, I think I made my case, Scott Rowland, a 70 war being, I think, I think his defensive war is like top it, it's at least for third baseman. It's like w one of the best of all time. Yeah. He's elite. He's elite at defense at the third base spot. We, I, you know, you know, I really didn't watch him too much when he was playing for the Phillies in, I think the, a good chunk of his earlier days, but his days in St. Louis, I mean, he was a winner that those teams with Pujols, Jim Edmonds, um, uh, just, just a very quality a uh, good third baseman that hit in the middle of that order um, had a OPS season uh, north of 1000 in 2004 and got fourth in MVP voting that year. So um, every year it seemed like it was an all-star and a gold glove uh, nod for Scott Rowland. Just a very good, consistent career as it went about. And then his days in Cincinnati were not awful as well. He did finish his last couple of seasons with some good marks, um, was sidelined with some injury injuries, but um Scott Rowland, I I I think you'll agree. I I I am I'm all for it right there as being a Hall of Famer. And then of course now with the other guy that's in the sixth year, Andrew Jones, he's been getting a lot of traction. He's one of the biggest names I think on the ballot over the last two or three seasons because he he's just got a very interesting career. You look at the first ten years, or basically all of his years with Atlanta. He spent twelve years, and, and first off. He came in the league at 19. It, not many guys had come into the league at 19 in 1996. Burst onto the scene. I, I can't remember exactly, but his postseason numbers in the 90s are insane. I think he had like three home runs when he came up as the Atlanta Braves in the 1996 World Series. Um, and actually going back to the postseason numbers, he, let's see, he did have two home runs um, in the World Series that season, but had three home runs in that um in in that postseason i think he just got brought up like a couple months prior to that or at least got brought up a couple weeks before that so uh, he basically just burst right onto the scene has had some very good postseason numbers um for him in his earlier days but just going through what he brings to the table i mean you're looking at an absolute stud of a defender i think i think they look at some of his defensive metrics they're as good as willie mays yeah I, um I, if you look at um all-time defensive war yeah. for center fielders. He actually is first. Okay, he's um, first. Which is above Mays. But, and then Kiermaier is actually fifth. Kiermaier could actually wow. have wow. a chance to pass Mays. If you just care about defensive war, then you know Kiermaier could be a guy that you get in the Hall of Fame one day. But. Right, but 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 we're talking about what if Kiermaier yeah. had had a 400, over yes. 400 career home runs. And, and I think you can also combine, if you looked at like the defensive numbers with like the power, like it, it, it's basically like almost a poor man's Willie Mays when you look at his first 10 years because he had a 51 home run season in 2005. Um, just some monstrous numbers in Atlanta. And then he gets traded to the Dodgers in 2008 at his age 31 season, Alex. And it's it's like five or six years of just, I mean, absolutely where did this guy go? The OPS plus dramatically drops in these years. The health drops he goes around from the Dodgers to the Rangers to the White Sox, then to the Yankees. And then, of course, his career is done and over with. But it's an interesting career. And some guys don't like that drop off. A lot of guys would say, you know what? You you basically you, you played one half of your career very well. But the but the, la the second half of it was just extremely sloppy. That's not a true Hall of Famer. I get arguments kind of on both sides. But looking at it all now, I honestly I, I'm I, I've been I, I think I've been. 
I've been saved, at least you can say, on the Andrew Jones train. But I think Andrew Jones is a Hall of Famer. Um, the, the defensive numbers I am very impressed with, but also with some of the power numbers. 434 home runs as a center fielder. That list is very short when you look at that kind of power that you played at that defensive spot. So um, give me your take, Alex, I guess, on those last two guys we talked about, um, Scott Rowland and Andrew Jones. What do you make of those two guys? Yeah, um, I'll start with Jones. Uh, I agree with most of what you said on Jones. The power speed uh, and uh, defense combo is really special, especially in the first half of his career. You mentioned the power component, the home runs. Uh, Mays leads all uh, center fielders in home runs for a career. Behind him is uh, Griffey Jr., Hall of Famer. Then it's Mickey Mantle, Hall of Famer. Andre Dawson, Hall of Famer. Then it's Carlos Beltran, who is Mm -hmm. also on this ballot. And And then it's Andrew Jones. And then after him, it's Duke Snyder, Hall of Famer, and then no one else is above 400. So that's a really elite class, I think. If you look at center fielders, above 400 career home runs, it's a really elite, elite class. And Beltran, 435. Jones 434. Yeah, and Dawson (laughs) one home run. Dawson 438. So like, there's just a really tight pack right there. But um, again, it's funny how, and, and I do this all the time, but just looking at the position you played, these numbers are a little more acceptable. If he was a corner outfielder, Alex, he would not be. I think remotely close right now on the ballot. But center field, of course, such an important defensive position. And like we said, the best defensive war of any center fielder ever. Um, Looking at baseball reference, defensive war. I do think, Travis, that um, he's the kind of guy where some writers would be like, we watched him play. He didn't didn't live up to the potential in the second half. But he's just one of these guys where I know you watched him play, but... I don't think at the time when you watched him, he really understood the value of what you were seeing, right? I think the defense was probably underrated at the time. Because Shadows, honestly, I mean, we probably knew he was a good defender when we were like young yes. watching him, but we didn't understand like, oh, this is one of the best defensive outfielders ever, which like, it's just something hard to grasp as you're watching it. Yep. But once it's all said and done, you have to kind of look at the numbers and say, you know, this is what this guy was made of. And, and the power combined with that defense, for me, just wins the case over right there. Um, for me, at least, I understand that there's shortcomings with the contact, of course. I mean, of all those names I mentioned for that home run leaderboard, he's got the worst average, but he's got the best defense, if you put it that way. So yep. there, there's trade-offs for sure. I personally think that if there's any argument for him not to make it, you could say the 111 OPS plus on the career is pretty low. Yes, And I do yes. agree, it is pretty low for a Hall of Famer. But I think if you just... He's, he's almost a unique case because the second half of his career, he kind of stuck around a while when he was no longer performing. If he retired earlier, yeah, that number would be a lot higher. And, and I don't I hate when you punish a player for something like staying around longer than they should. Um, because, I mean, he he was uh, he still had value with the glove, I'm sure, um, it, it, to put it uh, that way. But overall, for me, Jones is for sure making my ballot i need to keep him on keep him rising uh, i think his stock is still going up so i'm excited to see where he ends up um this year and, and even if you don't like the war which is a 62 the war seven is top of the leader one of the top three out of all the guys on the ballot no matter what position and his jaws is you know one of the one of the tops of of, of course the ballot as well just because um, you look at those prime years, those seven years of war, Jones was Jones was offering, you know, elite, elite numbers. So yeah, um, every single center fielder above him in war seven is in the Hall of Fame or Mike Trout, who will be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's interesting. That, that's 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 actually good to look at. It, again, I it's such a fun and um, it's it's a fun 
stat line to look at for Jones because you look at the home runs and you're like, wow, that's a lot for a center, center fielder. You look at the defense and you're saying this is just elite of the elite defense for center field. But then you look at some of the other percentage numbers, the batting average, not Hall of Fame level, the on base, not Hall of Fame level, the slugging. Pretty Hall of Fame level, a 486 for a center field there in most cases. But you, you look at the OPS plus, again, a 111. It's kind of like, yeah, it's just, it's not going to do it for me. But uh, there's just so many more factors that go into these players than uh, than just looking at some of these stat lines. But um, yeah, uh, I, the you mentioned War 7 just really quickly. The leaderboard for War 7 for center field is like, it's crazy how at the top, it's just like the best players of all time. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's Mays, Cobb, Trout, Mantle. Tris Speaker, Griffey Jr., DiMaggio, Snyder, like elite company. Wow, wow, and yeah. then the next guy is Andrew Jones after <laughs> after all those names. And so. then who's who's behind or who's below Andrew Jones? Then it's Beltran, okay. R- Richie Ashburn, okay. Kenny Lofton. Uh, well, I, I can give a nice spew for Kenny Lofton not being in the hall, but that's right. for another day. So it, it's just crazy how there's uh, such elite company towards the top of that yes. list. Um, and then you also wanted me to talk about Roland next. Roland, yep. Roland is someone, Travis, who... Um, Travis, like like a lot of these guys, when we, when we watched him play, we probably saw him towards the second half of his career, yep. and we didn't think Hall of Fame vibe, right? Like at, no, in the moment when we were just, you know, we were I, just, didn't, I didn't think it two years ago. I didn't think Scott <laughs> Rowland was the Hall of Famer two years ago. And then, yeah. and then as as we get better at looking at stats and understanding value, what makes these guys good, it becomes pretty clear he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Everybody with more career. Uh, let me go to the war filter. Yeah, every single player with more career war that played third base is in the Hall of Fame, except for Adrian Beltre, who will be in the Hall of yep, Fame yep. Uh, when he's on the ballot. Is that next year, maybe? Uh, year, maybe well, a year I, well, or two. You know, it'll be out tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> they'll, yeah. be, they'll be talking about it tomorrow. But um, yeah, every single Hall of every single third baseman with more war than Scott Rowland is in the Hall of Fame. It's Ron Santo, Paul Molitor. Brooks Robinson, Chipper Jones, George Brett, Wade Boggs, Adrian Beltre, Eddie Matthews, and Schmidt. It's like that's that's the, include yeah. include Roland in there. That's the ten best third baseman of all time. Yes, yeah. Um, from from my in my opinion, not a not home run Baker. Uh, he's he's down at the fourteenth. You know, he's the fourteenth best uh, WAR for third baseman. So I, maybe I'll give him a little <laughs> bit of props. But I, I, Travis, I'll put it this way: give me Roland over home run Baker. Yep. Bold statement. Yes. Give me Scott Roland. But yep. yeah, Roland Travis, the defense, like you said, it's really really good. Um, I think even the hitting goes underrated a bit. Um, looking at his career OPS plus, it's 122, which is pretty dang good for I think a third baseman uh, hot corner. You think of power, but he also brought um, the on base component. Um, his average was 281, which for a third baseman on the career is not very bad at all either. Um, it's better than guys like Mike Schmidt, Eddie Matthews, uh, better than Brooks Robinson. So. Um, the average is solid. The on-base is solid. The slugging was quite good, in my opinion. The career counting stats, like RBIs, home runs, it's nothing that's going to be super crazy. But he's actually like sixth all-time third baseman in doubles. There's lots of stats you can look at that kind of show, hey, this guy was doing more than just the glove. He was a really solid hitter. And the thing for me, Travis, it's I just love seeing a – I think you like it too. When you see a prime, like a six- or seven-year stretch or a five-, six-year stretch where the guy every single year was putting up stud numbers, right? Yeah. It's like yep. maybe he wasn't an MVP ever. That's how I feel about Abreu, but also Roland. Like you look at like year after year, just kind of putting up stud numbers. Like from probably about late 90s to early 2000s, like pretty much year in, year out, he's putting up like over a 120 OPS plus with elite uh, third base defense, which of course we know is really valuable. If I look at the baseball reference war kind of year in and year out, uh, where is this number? 
I'm lost. I'm lost in baseball reference, Travis. And that's kind of how I feel about like a guy like Chris Sale. Never won a Cy Young, but you look at those prime numbers when you go back. When we when we're ready to judge Chris Sale on his Hall of Fame, um, you can make a good case when you look at that 2012 to like 2018 or 19. No Cy Youngs, but we all know he was a top five pitcher in the game those years. That, of course, will be another debate you kind of talked about where the, the accolades and the awards aren't there. But we, we just you, you just know by looking at the numbers. And, of course, we watched him. But um, go on again with Scott Rowland. Yeah, he had eight years with over a four war misreference. So if you're over a four war, it means you're pretty much like an all-star type guy. He had uh, one, two, three, four years above a five war. And actually, Travis, 2004, a 9.2 Base reference war that that's MVP caliber stuff. Yes. He did get fourth in voting that year. Obviously, that's an era where there was lots of really good players. The 2004. Yeah, he oh, was. Yeah, bon, Bonds is uh, 500 on bases. Uh, sweeping it, that it, one. it might do the trick. Yeah, but but <laughs> Roland was behind uh, Bonds, Beltran, Pujols, which is of course great company, Hall of Fame company. So. Um, I still think in his peak years, he was really, really elite. And then he also showed like a five, six, seven years of when he was at his best, he was consistently an above average all-star. Yeah. So for yeah. me, Roland is, has to be there. I think Travis, he actually might get in the hall of fame, which I think two years ago, I would have said he won't get in, but he yeah. should. Now I'm saying he should, and he actually might. So yeah. I, I'm excited I, to see his progress. I, I think he's trending. I think this year will be a, a good jump as well. I don't think he's going to get in tomorrow he's at 63 so he's got to make about 12 percent of the vote i I think think that he could get close to 70 percent by tomorrow and then hopefully next year this time we'll be saying is scott rolling is this is this his time to get um you know 75 percent i hate when guys just get like 74.9 and it's like are you freaking kidding me like i gotta wait one more year to get (laughs) 0.1 percent of the vote but um, stop playing with us uh the last guy we'll talk about that's kind of in there uh the the middle of this life cycle is todd helton alex i'll kind of make my case um again I, I i've i've talked about todd helton um i know a lot of people will talk about he played in colorado the numbers are a little bit juiced my only argument would be then why'd you put a team in colorado um i, I think larry walker got the same criticism where they looked at some of these numbers and they're like you know it, it just is not too impressive when you look at guys that played at sea level or guys that played other ballparks um you know his numbers were elevated because of that i, I don't want to hear that argument because again you should never put a team in Colorado if you're just going to be, um, you know, don't be a hater debating on the numbers and all that stuff and saying, well, like these these home runs and doubles are are uh, a little bit skewed because of the altitude. But you look at Helton, I mean, 592 doubles. Um, I mean, it, I, I, I have to count the numbers, but I can't. I mean, it's let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven years of 40 or more doubles a, a season. And then the home runs. He was not a big home run hitter. He did have a very nice prime where he would hit 35 or more home runs or just be in that spot. But um, those early 2000 seasons, I mean, the RBIs were just, I mean, at a top level doubles at a top level hits and then you look at he batted 372 one season and he had a he basically had a a 1162 ops um in the 2000 season got fifth in mvp voting which again is just it's it's really funny if you lead the nl in hits doubles rbis batting average on base slugging and ops and total bases you get fifth in mvp voting so um there <laughs> it's funny when you look at jeff kent's numbers and you look at todd helton's numbers it's just completely different but todd helton got fifth that year um another reason why mvps and some of these awards aren't the biggest you know um they're not, they're not the biggest uh key in looking at 
if you're in Hall of Famer, if you're eligible. But I just look at all the numbers that Helton brought. It, it just screams Hall of Fame, in my opinion. More walks than strikeouts in his career. Um, I, I think I've made this case before, Alex, but if you ever if you have a 300 or higher average, a 400 or higher on base, and a 500 or higher slugging, um, to me, that's a Hall of Fame worthy batting yeah. line right yeah. there. Um, th- those are just those those just scream Hall of Fame again. So he should, I think, hopefully be trending in that direction. I mean, I, I think he's made some good progress. He's on he's his fifth year. He's at, you know, north of 50 percent. So you just kind of can make small increments if he can get four or five percent every year. You know, by by year 10, he should be there or sooner if he can get more votes. But give me your case on Todd Helton right now. Yeah, I'm also like you, a fan of Helton's case for Hall of Fame. I would vote for him. Uh, this peak season is crazy. You mentioned the 2000 season. Uh, really felt like he got robbed of an MVP in some ways. There was the Coors effect, of course, helping him a bit. Yeah. But like you said, um, th- we have stats, Travis, that allow us to kind of see how good were you. You know, they're park-adjusted stats. Yeah. They, they, they tell you in a neutral context how good were you. He still was putting up. Uh, back-to-back seasons of over 160 OPS plus in 2000, 2001, and then in 03, 04, he did it again, back-to-back seasons over 160 OPS plus. So that's four times in five years he was 60% better than the average hitter, and that's ignoring Parks. That's not including the Coors effect. That's neutralized. Um, and then he his career OPS plus is down at a 133 just because towards the end he had a couple below-average seasons where obviously a below average hitter for a first baseman is not very good. But I think the Rockies were kind of they were rewarding yeah. him for being a franchise yeah. guy and staying there and stuff. So that makes sense to me is why he stuck around. But yeah, a career 316 batting average. Um, of course, there's Coors. Is, Coors doesn't only help the pop. It helps the base hits as well. But that's still a really impressive figure for a career, Travis, especially considering towards the end there, he was batting like 250 and below. Yeah. Um, and he still managed to keep that batting average above 300 for the career by quite a bit. A 414 career on base is also super special. In his prime, he was above 450 multiple times. Um, that's called elite hitting right there. I love yeah. seeing discipline. And, and a combination of contact and discipline, that's kind of rare, honestly. Because most of the time, I feel like the guys who are high contact, they probably swing a little too much. Yes. And maybe the guys who are high on base might not swing that much at all because they're focusing on power and walks and not getting much base hits. He was a nice middle where he had good average, good on base, and power. So he just was a real true pure hitter in all ways um, as a first baseman. So even though he was in Coors, he still put up over 60 career wars at first baseman. For me, it's pretty easy. I'm voting him for sure. He has the prime and he has the longevity, which is special. I I, I like seeing the 2000 to the 2004 or five season where you look at those numbers and every single season OPS is above a thousand, but he also has the durability where you can go back and say, man, 2009, you still had a 904 uh, OPS and a batting average above uh, 325 batting average and an on base of, you know, 416. So that's what I really cherish and like what he brought to the game um, for at least the Colorado Rockies in, in that sense. But um, I, I don't have the numbers uh, for like defensive yep. uh, war or anything in front of me, but he does have three gold gloves, which is definitely saying something at least. Yes, yeah. Um, I know he played first base, which of course won't be a huge boost. but yeah. Right, but just showing that even though you were playing first, you were still athletic enough to kind of play your position well is big. I, I, I always say that gold gloves don't mean that much at all because yeah. the voters don't really know what they're seeing half the time, but I'm sure he must've been an above average uh, fielder um, to get that kind of recognition. So, and I'm sure if you put Todd Helton in um, 
Yankees pinstripe number, you know, Yankees pinstripe uniform. I, I'm sure he's a, a second or first ballot Hall of Famer. So Quite possibly um, just because of, of the the postseason moments. I know I, I'm, I don't know how many times he made the postseason, but it wasn't it wasn't that many because Colorado was, you know, always fighting either with the Dodgers or the Giants, the Diamondbacks in those times. So um, that's kind of our case. Todd Helton. Um, and that kind of wraps up with those guys that are in the the later or middle tiers of the ballot and their and their life cycles on those. Now let's move to the guys that are either on their third or second year on the ballot. There's not too many names, but we'll start with the third year ballot guys. That's going to be Mark Burley and Tory Hunter, both guys uh, right now, the lowest percentage of votes they received last year. So not trending in the best direction. Both guys, a 5.8 for Mark Burley and a 5.3 for Tory Hunter. And then you get into the second years on the ballots. Uh, Jimmy Rollins received a 9.4% of the vote last year on his first season. And Alex Rodriguez, second year on the ballot, his first year, Alex, he got a 34.3%. So you, you can almost see that 35% of the voters, probably guys that voted for Bonds and Clemens, guys that don't care too much about steroids. So it, it, it was a surprising bounce, I think, from Alex Rodriguez getting, you know, almost 35% of the vote on his first season. We were really wondering what it was going to look like, but um, he's someone that possibly could be trending in that direction. I will start with the guys with the third year. Um, Mark Burley, I don't think he's going to get in. He's personally not a Hall of Famer on my level. Uh, again, guys that had really good careers. Mark Burley, there, there are some special seasons Mark Burley had. Torrey Hunter, one of my favorite players watching as he played for the Twins and also the Angels. Just a fan favorite. Someone who could do it all, hit for power, and play gold glove center field defense. I think he has like nine gold gloves. Um, there, there's some there's some interesting combos when you look at the hitting that he had and the defense that he brought, much like Andrew Jones, that is up there with some of the greats or the inner circle Hall of Famer center fielders. But um, Torrey Hunter, he's a guy that I really was hoping would get north of 5% on his first year. He did, and also on his second year, he got north of 5%. Um, I think this is the last year on the ballot. I don't think he's going to get north of 5% this year. Uh, I, I don't think the writers are going to keep him on for another season or keep dragging him out. But um, a, a kudos to him. He's someone that, of course, really a lot of respect for. But I don't think Mark Burley or and Hunter are going to be going on after tomorrow. They wouldn't be on my ballot. Um, now moving to the guys that are on their second year, Jimmy Rollins. Jimmy Rollins is getting a lot of love from the writers and the voters. I've been seeing a lot of ballots with Jimmy Rollins uh, checked off. So I, I'm going to it's going to I'm pretty sure it's going to be an increase of of votes for Jimmy Rollins in his second year. I don't know how much. Um, personally, Alex, I, I wouldn't vote for Jimmy Rollins. I I think that the you know, the four forty seven point six war is good as a shortstop. Only a 95 OPS plus. I mean, you're looking at a guy that's a below average hitter. Yes, he brought the stolen bases and power. Yes, he has the MVP season and he's got the swagger and was on that prime, just almost small dynasty Phillies team. I just don't see him being a Hall of Favor on my scale. I, I, I would not vote for him, but I think he's going to take an increase tomorrow. I think he's going to be increasing as we go on. Maybe in five years, he'll be trending in the 50%, but... I would not have Jimmy Rollins on my Hall of Fame ballot. Alex Rodriguez, this one gets tough. Um, I, I guess I'll let you start, Alex, and I can kind of debate you a little bit. But I guess, again, I, I would be going against my word if, if I voted Alex Rodriguez in, but not some of these other guys. Alex Rodriguez, if you just take away steroids, 
he's as inner, inner circle as it gets. Alex, he possibly could be the best shortstop of all time, and he only played nine seasons at shortstop. He he's kind of like that Carlos Correa slash. Um, no, I mean, completely better than Carlos Correa, but he's on that Tatis kind of level um, where you know the shortstop was just so much better than the competition, but. Um, I guess, give me your take, G- give me your take right now on Hunter, Tory Hunter and Mark Burley. And of course then Jimmy Rollins and we can talk about Alex Rodriguez. Okay. So starting with the Burley and, um, let me start with Burley actually. So, uh, looking at his career numbers, the 60, almost 60 base reference war is very impressive. It's a lot higher than, uh, I would first think before looking I uh, might be a bit of a hypocrite, but I am also leaning against Burley. I do like mm-hmm. the war, but I just see the OPS or sorry, the ERA plus numbers not that much higher above average in most of his best seasons. Like he has a couple, two seasons above 140, which is very good, but that's only like, okay, nice all star, but like not like, oh, like Cy Young, like let's go beast. That's like, no, not, he never really was that guy, in my opinion. Um, it's funny how identical he is dependent. He, uh, he, both wars are. So almost spot on and both era era pluses are spot on and eras are almost spot on <laughs> they're very very comparable um less postseason stuff for yes. for burley but does have a world series ring still mm-hmm. um he has the defensive component which i don't know who cares about that but he d- was known he as a really flip good on opening day and four four goal gloves as a pitcher for defense so a shout out to him but the perfect game travis maybe that gives Maybe if you're just are completely not sure, maybe that does kind of tip you one way or the other. But yeah. um, the career OPS or sorry, ERA plus at 117 is he's not that much better above average. His career wasn't even super long. 16 years is nothing to scoff at, but it's not like he pitched for 21 years and like that's what brought the ERA plus down. Yeah, I mean, he retired when he was 26, and he didn't really break out until I would say I would say his breakout year was probably 2005. Yeah, for me that's when I know he burst on the spot because he he had a, just roasted us in the league championship. Series. He was an all star yeah. in 02, but okay. it, yeah, the it depends how you slice it. But either way, we're talking about maybe like a ten year prime of being a really good pitcher. I don't know if he was ever like a top five pitcher in baseball. Yeah, yeah. Um, those guys in his era, I'd much give more. Uh, I'd favor them more like a guy like Johan Santana, who yep. was I think a one and done, which is criminal in my book. But <laughs> yes, um, yeah. not not that's we're not talking about Johan here. But yeah, Travis, I think that um, I would not vote for Burley. Mm-hmm. I do like that he got over five percent. I'm glad that he's getting some credit here. But for me, I don't think I give him a vote. Tory Hunter, Travis, also a fan favorite. Um, I did love him a lot as an Angel. A lot of great plays and highlights as a Twin. I personally just think that. Um, a little bit short. He's like almost an 85, 90% of a Hall of Fame career. He needed a little bit more either in the counting stats or a couple better peak seasons. But he's a nice prime where you look at the numbers year in, year out. He's putting up some very nice numbers, but yes. but almost like Burley, never like a top player of the game in his prime and also didn't really have the career counting stats. So for me, also going to be a no for Torrey Hunter, even though I did like him a lot. And I think... Um, he he's key for the story of baseball. Like I love that Bonds like All Star game home yes. run robbery and some big moments um, for many different teams in the playoffs. So 
I'm a big fan of him. But I, I almost wish you could. It, it, it sounds stupid to say, but I almost wish you could give a vote for a guy and say, like, I want you to get over five percent. Like, I just that, I, that's a thing for some guys yeah, for sure. For, for the respect, like, I want you to be above five percent. Like, almost like a Jared Weaver. Like, I want you to get north of five percent because you deserve to be on the ballot for a second. Because I liked you when I was yeah, little. Yeah, yeah, or something like that. But after that, I don't really care what happens to you. But you deserve to be on the ballot because there's so many guys that were one and done that it just seems like you said criminal. That it's just like really you cannot give this guy. Uh, more thought into you couldn't give this guy another year of thought like a Joe Nathan or a Jonathan Papelbon, but uh, please continue. So I'll move on to Jimmy Rollins now, Travis. The war is not uh, nothing to scoff at at all. Forty seven point six career baseball offense war, but you, when you think of of us, uh, uh, Jimmy Rollins, Travis, for me, you almost think of I like think of speed. The speed Tri- is great. triple machine. Yeah. But at the plate, you would think contact, right? Yes. Yep. He wasn't even that good at contact. If yeah. you look at his two sixty four career batting average, yeah, that's like twenty points lower than Scott Rowland, who you think of as like maybe a slugger third base. Like no, like Rollins was not even that good of a contact hitter. His best season never had a three hundred or higher batting average. Ne- season. Never. Yeah. And and Travis, I'll tell you this: and his on base is never that good either. He's definitely more of a swing happy kind of guy. Yep. Um. The power some years was good. Some years for a for a shortstop, you know, a thirty home run season at one point. But Travis, I will say this: he did not deserve the MVP. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I know. I I'm, know. I'm sorry know. to Jimmy Rollins and his, yeah. and his and all those who love him. I do not think he deserved the 2007 MVP. He had a 6.1 baseball reference WAR. That was less than David Wright, who got fourth in voting. David Wright had probably. Um, Maybe worse defense, even only because Rollins was like I think a generational yep. defender in his time. I was gonna say, did his teammate Ryan Howard have a better year? But he had the MVP prior. <laughs> Ryan Howard had a much better offensive year. Yeah, of course, the war was not good, but yeah. Um, but David Wright brought you like uh nine hundred or yeah nine sixty three OPS. Yes. Um, Holiday Fielder and yeah. Jones all above a thousand. OPS um, Rollins was down below 900. Even Pujols, I mean, you look at that WAR leading all of NL, and then you look at the OPS, almost a thousand. Um, it's it, lot, you know, a lot, a lot of guys that you would give the MVP to. Even Hanley Ramirez, looking down there as well. He, Troy Tulo down, he got like 18th in voting. He had a 6.8 WAR. Yeah, he played almost every game. He had a better, actually, he had a worse OPS than Rollins, which is surprising. But um, maybe the defense must have been that much better. But either way, there are five guys. There are five or more guys we could easily say have just uh, as good, d- if not better, deserve the shot, deserve the MVP. Yeah, right. And 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 Rollins played every single game, so voters probably like that. And he's on a really good team, so voters probably like that too. But I just don't see it at all. Um, for me, I just think no shot Hall of Fame, even though he is getting tons of consideration. The defense was really good. It was yes. all-time stuff. But the hitting, for me, is just not close to good enough. Um, the MVP, for me, was kind of almost a little bit silly. Uh, he was part of a really good team, a, a Phillies team yes. that we both looked at, looked back at fondly. But that's not enough uh, for us at all. So yep. we yep. agree there. Travis. <laughs> I think it's a rod time. He, and he's a nice guy now because he works at Fox. He's you know Travis, he's, he's just trying he's, to imp- boost his image. He is, and, and he's and trying to go from a excellent strategy. He's it's trying a, to go from a roids to just like the darling of the MLB it's media. An excellent strategy because it's giving guys like me a second thought at this guy's kind of a nice guy or this guy's kind of a maybe he's just more of a of a of a more humanly person that he's just a fun guy travis he's a fun guy even though i think he got busted three times in his career for steroids which more than manny ramirez and more than any other guy um has ever gotten busted but 
but rightfully so you look at those numbers and I mean, holy cow, it, it just screams, um, it, it's, it screams inner of inner circle hall of fame when you look at that. But of course you have to look at the context, but, uh, give me, give me thoughts on Alex Rodriguez. And I'll ask you this. Does he get in this year? Pretty easy question. No, no. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm saying no to that. Um, what I'll say about him as a whole, for me, Travis, he is too good a player for me to not be in the Hall of Fame. Yep. He would have to do something really bad for me not to vote for him, <laughs> like worse than steroids. Omar like, Vizquel type of stuff. <laughs> but like, but like, I mean, I'm just trying to think, like, what would he have? Like, what would have to? What would the scandal have to have been? Like a 117 WAR. Um, is I mean we're talking we're talking top. This is a bold statement. So I, I, I want to be I want to be careful. No, I, I, I want to be careful here. I was about yeah. to say top five position player of all time. Like I think that's the company, right? That's, like I mean, I mean like you're, that, you're not you're not. I don't think you're wrong, really. I mean we're talking about it's almost 700 home runs, far away from 700. The career batting average almost still 300, despite he really kind of played into his old age, just trying to chase counting stats. Yeah. Um, his best years, Travis, are just some incredible numbers. He has a batting title. As a 20-year-old in 1996 in Seattle, he has multiple home run titles, obviously. He led the American League in home runs one, two, three, four, five times. Um, he had over 150 RBIs in 07. Like, some of these numbers are just, it's just video game stuff. It's just like a little bit worse than Bonds, but he was playing shortstop for most of his career yeah, yeah. at a high level with good defense. Just could not be, you can't get more five tool than this, right? You can't you can't get more five tool. You, you could make a case, and I I would probably back you where you could say he's a top five shortstop and a top five third baseman of all time. And it, it's funny that he, he he basically had two careers. He had a shortstop career. He had a third baseman career, and they were all both of them were right. Were you you could argue he's insane. A, you could argue if he never did steroids, you could argue he just just the shortstop stuff is Hall of Fame. And just the third base stuff is Hall of Fame. Just don't even get a pick when you make your all-time team. Just have a rod on the on the on the left side. It's like he will yeah. cover short and <laughs> he's got and, it. And third. And it's funny when you watch. Like you know, I know when when Jordan made his documentary, The Last Dance, everyone kind of grew more of appreciation for Jordan. And then when Jeter made his um, his documentary, um, what is it called, The Captain? I actually grew uh, I actually grew a little more you know fonder of of Alex Rodriguez because he was talking in it saying. You know, Jeter was getting all the love for being a postseason performer, for being on the Yankees. When in hindsight, Alex Rodriguez was was the guy. I mean, Alex Rodriguez was, was the performer in Seattle that, you know, was making the playoffs, but wasn't getting far in the playoffs or was at one and done. Then going to Texas wasn't really making the playoffs at all in Texas. Um, it, it's funny when you look back at that, there was the big three. There was Nomar Garcia Parra, there was Derek Jeter, and there was Alex Rodriguez. And you look at the numbers, I mean, Derek Jeter is easily third place out of those two guys. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny. It, it's yeah. funny when we look at Derek Jeter that I'm, way. I'm but, glad we agree. But, I mean, Nomar was second, and then A-Rod was first. And A-Rod had just – the numbers were were just – I mean, they're stupid. But there's, but there's just one big um, heavy shadow clouding over him that I – I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave him off. So it, it's, it, it sucks, but it, it's, it, and, and that's why that whole Fox, the Fox job now where he's at every single postseason or All Star game, it's making me just, like him a little more. Just smiling and laughing it, it, it up. It's, it, he's, he's being that nice guy. And again, it's a great strategy. He's being the nice guy, and everyone's gonna say, "Wow, like things have changed." But, um, I guess anything else to add on Alex Rodriguez? 
There's a lot more to add on Alex Rodriguez. He's the yeah. kind of guy you could talk about for ages. Yes. But um, some of the peak war seasons are special. He had over 10 war in 2000, which we assume that was before the steroids. He was yep. still in Seattle. 9.4 base reference war in 96 in Seattle. Actually, um, just some legendary stuff. And then even in New York in the middle of his career, two different seasons over nine war. So just putting up seasons that are just kind of some all-time stuff and it's spread out through his like even like it's crazy this his his best uh season in seattle was probably this eh, actually well i'll say one of his best seasons he's only 20 years old in 1996 in seattle and then one of his other best seasons 2007 he's 31 so it's like a whole decade later and he's yeah. still an mvp like it's just yeah. crazy how he sustained the production obviously steroids help you sustain production but he still was a good defender um, and then a prime in Texas that no one's ever seen before. I mean, 156 home runs in three years as the shortstop. It's just crazy. I, I, it's 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 incredible. So, I, I you can say much about Alex Rodriguez. It's very it's very similar to a Barry Bonds type of career where you just had some of these peaks and the longevities were so good. Um, again, A Rod had peaks. He had longevity. He's got the 3,000 hits to back up that. He's got the you know. Almost 700 home runs, which I'm still getting a little bit salty that he did not hit four more home runs and reach that magical milestone. He's got 2,000 uh, RBIs. I mean, there, there's so many counting stats that he has already accomplished, but um, he's got 2,000 runs. Um, there, there's so many things that he brought to the table, but it sucks with baseball. There's just uh, there's in some cases there's a there's a there's a shadow over you, but a, I, a smudge. I, he, he, he would, he would not be on my ballot. Um, just because I don't want to be a hypocrite. So, I mean, Travis, uh, it, it's, it's people should be allowed to change their minds. I get that. I mean, maybe, in, maybe I, I think you just don't want to vote for him. Maybe five more years when he's a nice guy on Fox, I'll, I'll change that. I'll change that. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll reevaluate. Yeah. When, when the time <laughs> comes, I, 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 uh, my last, I'll, I'll say this. He's, he's, and this is, and sounds crazy, but he's, he's, he's one of the great, like you said, he's one of the greatest position players of all time. Yeah, for and, sure. But I think, I'm leaving I think, him off my ballot. Yeah. I think he, if he put his whole career shortstop, I think he'd be the best shortstop of all time. I think if he played his whole career at third base, he'd be the best third yeah, baseman no, of all time. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. So, so it's it yeah. just it's just crazy how um, this guy existed and was putting up real. <laughs> this guy existed. These numbers are real and they're not from a, a computer game. But um, Travis, that pretty much wraps up the A Rod case. Anyone yes. else we got to talk about? Um, you know, I less. I think we'll now we'll just we'll, we'll quickly take the deep dive into the first years. I know we went over who we would have or who we think we'll get. Um, who, who we'd have getting north of 5%, you know, who'd we vote for, but I'll kind of make the case. Um, and I'll start off with, of course, Carlos Beltran. Um, he's very similar, of course, to a guy like Scott Rowland, 70 war. You had a 70 war. That's, that's impressive in its own right there. Um, 400, uh, 400 or more home runs as a center fielder. Also Beltran having the postseason numbers to back it up. I think he had like six or seven home runs in like the 2004 playoffs with the Houston Astros. Uh, you can go back and look, but he is a playoff performer. He had some very, very impressive years with the New York Mets, also was a Kansas City Royal and a Houston Astro. But um, I, I I don't think Beltran will, of course, be a first, you know, first ballot Hall of Fame, but I I, I would vote for him this year. I think that he brought everything to the table when it, when it comes to like all these tools. Um, he, he got, you know, north of 300 stolen bases, uh, north of a thousand walks, almost 1600 RBIs. 
the home runs were there. So the power and the extra base hits were all there as a center fielder, which makes it even more special. So he's got my vote, Carlos Beltran. Um, I am very in interested to see what the voters think of him tomorrow when those results come out. But another guy, of course, is Francisco Rodriguez. And, you know, me and you are, of course, have heavy hearts with him. He was, you know, one of our most favorite, of course, closers, favorite pitchers growing up, was an electric setup man earlier in his career and then became the closer for the Angels. And honestly, there were some seasons, I think from like 2004 to 2005 to like 2008. I mean, he almost had, he pretty much had better seasons than Mariano Rivera or, you know, was in competition with Mariano Rivera for the best reliever in baseball. So there, there's, there's a lot of seasons where you can favor K-Rod. Um, and I think there are some seasons he actually came out to close the games in the all-star games other than Mariano Rivera because he was the hotter hand to give the ball to. But a 148 OPS plus in his career. And I think we already talked about that with Billy Wagner being at a 187. But basically, if K-Rod would have pitched 24 more innings, Alex, in his career, he would have qualified for this ERA plus um, uh, stat line in baseball reference. Right now, if he would have pitched 24 more innings, he would be ninth all time in ERA plus in Major League Baseball history. He'd be ahead of Hall of Famers Trevor Hoffman. He'd be ahead of Hall of Famers Bruce Suter. He'd be ahead of Hall of Famers um, like Lee Smith, of course, as well at the closing pitcher position. There are many other Hall of Famers that he's already ahead of, but that's starting pitching. So I give the nod. They had four times as much more innings pitched than him, but just those other Hall of Famers he'd be ahead of right then and there. And then, of course, when you look at the saves, Mark, um, you go Mariano Rivera with 652. You go with Trevor Hoffman, 601. Lee Smith with 478. All three of those guys are Hall of Famers. The next guy below that is Francisco Rodriguez. So he does have the number of saves that, in my opinion, do qualify you to be at a Hall of Fame level. I know some people are like, well, you got to be north of certain you know a number there's no there's no set number it's not like the whole the 500 home runs I, I think with saves they've kind of learned to you know look at other stats as well as look at those high number of saves but Dennis Eckersley is a Hall of Famer who has less number of saves than um than Francisco Rodriguez so is Raleigh Fingers so those are of course a couple names that got into the Hall of Fame with less saves um and K-Rod did have a better ERA plus when looking at those numbers so I I I, I I don't I don't think he's gonna get five percent, but I I would just hope he'd get five percent. And you know if I could give it my vote, he would be a Hall of Famer just by looking at those numbers and how clutch he was in those situations. Also holds the single season saves record for Major League Baseball history, so that's yet to be broken. I I wonder Alex if that's gonna be a big stat that people look at and say yes, you deserve five percent. Um, what's your take on 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 at least Beltran and K Rod that you said would deserve to be? on uh on next year's ballot so yeah i i agree with pretty much everything you said about k-rod we, we were super uh in the same step on that i think that his career numbers are good enough in terms of the career saves fourth all-time in saves is nothing this i mean that's as a closing pitcher your job is to get saves yep. right and he did that the fourth most times of anyone who's ever played the sport of baseball so um, the ERA numbers are also really good. The ERA plus, like you said, is above many other Hall of Famers. There are just tons of voters, Travis, who discredit the modern day reliever because their innings work, innings pitch workload is not what it was back in the days of Raleigh Fingers, Goose yeah. Gossage, Dennis Eckersley. Those guys would go a couple innings sometimes. Um, the guys, the more modern guys, they're like throwing their arms out out there. You know, they're throwing a hundred yeah. miles an hour, wipeout sliders, like. I mean, Eck was was pinpoint, right? But like, uh, 
a different style for K Rod shouldn't hurt his chances just because he pitched fewer innings. Yeah. It, it was would be one thing if he had like, you know, five hundred career innings or whatever. But I mean, he still played, I in my opinion, uh, a pretty long career for a modern day relief pitcher. Like he was pitching into yes. his mid to late thirties. Um, he actually had some good years in his thirties, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I think and guys like Eckersley and Raleigh started. They 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 were starting pitchers for a long time at the so beginning probably, of their career. Yeah. They got they got the thousand innings mark probably in year five. So that probably yeah. hurts their ERA plus numbers, but it definitely yes, helps. True, true. It helps yes. their volume of yes. of innings pitched. So um, there's given there's take, and I think that when people look at the modern day reliever or closer, they just only look at the what, what the takeaways, which is like not enough innings. Um, you know, maybe, I mean, but it's crazy how it's like, you could say not enough innings, but like still fourth most saves ever. So you can't say he didn't play long enough, right? Yes. It's just that pitchers or coaches use those types of pitchers differently these days. They use them in a more selective role. And I understand, like if you said, like closing pitchers, Travis, are just not as valuable as most other positions, right? It's just a fact. You can look at the wars. There's never like over a four war. Like the best closing pitcher will have like a three, four war at most, right? And so I understand if you say that like they're not as valuable, but for Hall of Fame, I really care about you know what was your job right, and your job was to close these games, help your team secure wins. These guys, a guy like K. Rod was the best at that in his era outside of Mariano Rivera. Um, it's in some of those peak seasons, he's up there with guys like Joe, Joe Nathan and, and amongst yeah. others. But I I think that when you look at a, a career like K. Rod, he was truly dominant and elite at what his job was and i don't really care if his job wasn't as valuable as some other things it's like being a kicker in football right it's like yes a kicker is less viable than a quarterback but should kickers make the hall of fame still it's like yeah it's like yeah, you, you, yeah. you you were a kicker you were the best kicker for a decade like yeah you're in the hall of fame in my book like i don't care like yeah i don't care that you could only impact the game so much right you had a job and every time the coach called on you, you were the best at it. And, yeah. and that's really what matters for me. So 100%. K-Rod is someone, Travis, who we both have a fondness for. The fourth all-time in saves, the best single-season save record is uh, both, I think, huge tick marks for him, big pluses. And then just the career ERAs kind of both in the early 2000s and then even later on as a Met and like a Brewer. He's a one really crazy Brewer season where yeah. it's like yes. it's like he actually had some longevity longer than you might think even beyond his time as an angel. So for me, Travis K-Rod also gets my vote. Francisco, I, if I had to bet, I would bet he does not get 5%, yep. which for me is a shame. Yes, yeah. I, I wish he'd be a Hall of Famer. I think he should be, but uh, I'm, I'm almost positive he will not be just because – these guys do not respect the closing pitcher position. I don't get why, but that's the way it is. And I think they look at like they they just want to judge you so much on Mariano or, you know, and Mariano, of course, had the ERA numbers and also the save numbers. And then, of course, they look at a guy like Hoffman. They say, well, he had 600 saves. He led. I think he was what the first one to 500 saves. And then the first one to 600 saves. So they're like, he was a pioneer at that. But you look at Hoffman, Hoffman's overall numbers. There are many, many guys the, who were more right. elites in those situations. The, the saves are just the big number that they care about, which exactly. it, it's again, it, like you mentioned, I think you mentioned it one time in the podcast where it's almost saves are almost like wins. It's like, I, I mean, it's nice, but like if you put a guy out there in the eighth inning and it's a save situation, then your offense hits a grand slam and it's like, oh, the save situation isn't allowed anymore. Like just go out there and pitch still. 
you're not going to get the save, but you might have a zero ERA that night. You know, there's so many factors you could look at. So I, I don't want I don't want people to get so fixed on the number of saves, and that's all that matters. I want them to look at, of course, what were you like when it came to you know crunch time? What's your ERA, ERA plus? What's your what's the these numbers looking like? And so now, of course, Mariano was good at both, but yeah. Um, I, I don't know why it, it, it's almost like, why aren't we comparing every major league baseball player to Babe Ruth and say, well, he's not on their level. Like he, he can't be a hall of famer. So, um, Mariano's inner circle, there are so many guys like Billy Wagner, like Francisco Rodriguez that I think are, you know, <laughs> they're, 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 they're on another level. They're, they're a tier lower, but they of course are, in my opinion, their hall of fame level. They did the best they could at their position. I mean, you know, and, and that's all you can ask for. So, um, and I, in one area, I will say, Alex, the 62 saves in 2008, it may, it may give them that 5%. It may be that tick that, you know, Papelbon and Nathan did not have, I, I think. I Nathan, wonder how many writers even know that though. Do you think a lot of them do? I think they do. I mean, I okay. think all of them. I think all of them were were have been around since the '90s or the era. You know, I feel like a lot of them are still that old school thought, and they're probably looking at that as like, "Holy crap, that's actually a milestone." I mean, hopefully, these guys are looking at these numbers and they're like, "Well, you led the." I, I don't give them very much credit. I, I no, just I, know, I assume I they're going to forget everything that matters. I know. I know they're going to look at like three or four numbers and say, "No, pass." Like, get get a new guy in here. Like. Only um, 700 innings. Yeah, and, and, and looking, it's funny. Even looking at his from 2004 to 2008. Uh, K Rod, three of those seasons had a Cy Young, uh, a fourth place or or lower Cy Young finish. So it's crazy that he was top four in Cy Young all uh, three of those. Um, what is that? Three of those five seasons, and then he got an, a sixth in MVP. MVP in 2008. So um, he's getting a lot of good of vote, you know, votes in those seasons. He but was a key part to that Angels team that kept making that, yeah, that division exactly. series. Exactly. Series. And if you want to look at that too, if you want to look at team success, he was part of the most historic prime of Angels baseball history. You know, 2002 to 2008 was a insane prime to be an Angels fan because it was playoffs almost every single year, deep runs in the playoffs almost every single year. So if, if you want to look at team success, it's there. If you want to look at individual individual success, it's there as well. So um, I, I I can't say more. Alex, last person is Beltran. Give me who, uh, g- give me your take on that. What, what, what do you see with him? So he's tough, Travis. And I, I want to ask you a question and then I'll answer. What for you is the big difference between someone involved linked to 2017 Astros mm-hmm. cheating scandal and someone linked to steroids? What, what for you? Because both can be considered yes, cheating yep, yep. and you can make excuses for both, right? Like some steroid guys, you can make excuses saying, hey, everyone else was doing it, blah, blah, blah. Maybe the Astros cheating, maybe it was the same. Maybe everyone else was doing it too yep. and we only caught the Astros. You know, mm-hmm, who knows? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But for you, what is the big difference there? I mean... I'm kind, of put, I'm kind of putting you on the spot. No, but. yeah, but like steroids, of course, is just. I mean, it's it's going to single handedly boost your 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 just everything that you bring to the plate and you bring to the the ballpark every single day. It's going to boost your numbers dramatically. Of course, when you look at the cheating that they did, it was going to boost the entire team's performance. So you almost look at steroids are going to boost individual this cheating is going to boost the entire team's uh you know uh record and all that stuff so and, and honestly in a way alex i look at the uh the cheating in 2017 to be worse <laughs> because you you affected you know the entire team you affected how the how the tournament played on you you know you affected so much more than an individual someone could hit 50 home runs and and have god numbers but their team might just be 
atrocious still. And it's kind of like, oh, well, like, you know, you were you were really good, but your team was bad. That really didn't affect too much. But um, yeah, there, it, it's funny. It's funny you bring that up because it's true. And in my opinion, I think that the the 2017 was uh, you, you could look at it being a little bit more of like, wow, like that's that's really hard on judging your character. And you look at guys like A-Rod and Bonds. They were just getting pissed off because guys like Griffey and Jeter were getting all the limelight. And you're sitting over here saying, I'm better. I, 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 I'm a better player and I'm going to prove it to you guys. I'm going to be putting up God numbers. Whereas Beltran was, uh, you know, one for bang, one, one bang for fastball, two bangs for off speed. But, um, you know, it's crazy too. I mean, he only played 129 games that year in Houston and wasn't really a big, I mean, his numbers were awful that year. I don't, it's almost like, couldn't you just finish your, your seasons and Yankee and the Yankees and just called it a quit. Just go quiet. Um, I guess he wanted to finish. I guess he, he probably had a really good time in Houston in Oh four. He wanted to finish his time in Houston. And also they had a really good team, um, and wanted to bring that, 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 uh, that knowledge to the Houston Astros team. But, um, it, it it yeah I, I it's it's funny you asked that question I, I would say that the banging of the trash cans and that cheating is 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 worse than steroids just because it, it affects your whole team it affects the teams you are playing it affects the league it affects you know it affects so much more than just the individual person so so yeah I I, I can dig with that response my, my, my thoughts on Beltron is this I think up until just very very recently like pretty much this voting cycle I was of the mindset that Beltron is the reason that the cheating scandal got really accepted by the players. I think he probably pushed for it. And this is all speculation that I have. I don't want to act like I'm speaking any reporting any facts, but this is stuff off based on what I've heard and what I've read. Um, that he was a big instigator of it on the team. Um, he wanted to kind of have better numbers in his last season and he knew it would help the team, obviously. So um I gave him a lot of uh I gave him a lot of uh, I guess negative attention in my mind. Um, going towards Carlos Beltran, but Travis, I think the more I think about it, um, if I'm okay with with steroids, um, I think I'm also okay with voting for someone who cheated with science stealing, um, because it's one of these situations where where do you draw the line, right? Like, yeah, maybe there's an Astros player who a they participated in the science stealing, b maybe it was their idea, right? Mm-hmm. C maybe they convinced all their teammates to do it and d maybe they got maybe they got like a contract boost because of they had better numbers that year you know like some guys probably had like a major effect on them and some guys maybe maybe an astros player maybe altuve or or maybe one of the bench players maybe they use the the science dealing like once or twice right and there's no way we can draw that line right so who am i to say i know for a fact travis when altuve goes in the ballot i'm probably gonna vote for him yeah we'll get there we'll get there when we get there but how can i how can i be harsher to Beltron than Altuve. I feel like I really shouldn't be harsher because it was a team-wide scandal um, and I shouldn't judge one guy harsher than, than another if I know that they all were kind of part of that team. They all took place in the World Series success. They all have a ring now and I should treat them all uh, the same in terms of how I punish them. So for me, Travis, I am leaning towards yes for Beltron. If I had to vote today, I'd probably vote yes for him even though I still feel like there is wiggle room for me to kind of end up going either way down the road. Um, I still think as of right now, I'm leaning yes, because another thing to note is for the steroid guys, a lot of times the steroids help the best years of their careers become the best years of their career for Beltron. The cheating was 2017 when he was washed. Whereas his best years of his career, we assume was all natty. It was just, he was legit. There was no, banging of trash cans when he was a met putting up you know some mvp caliber numbers all-star year in year out so 
and I don't think he got the memo in 2017 because his numbers are atrocious. So I may, think may, maybe he his, thought he thought that two bangs was fastball. He, yeah, was, he was up yeah. there wrong. I, think. <laughs> I was gonna say because that's like you look at the numbers and you almost say your career ended in 2016 because that year was just I mean atrocious. And and that's the thing that you look at as well. It, if if someone like you know if someone were to get caught you know if 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 Mike Trout were to get caught with steroids in his final season of of major league baseball but every other season he passed but he got caught his last season it's almost like how would you judge that i think a lot of people would say you know what his his hall of fame case was already locked up like no 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 ifs ands or buts yeah you you get caught doing this because he probably wants to have still that that edge for the i mean game, that's kind of like bonds bonds was very pretty true, much yeah. locked up yeah very true and that's funny you say that because bonds i think from i think he debuted in 86 but if you look at like 1988 to 1998 i mean the the, the hall of fame the hall of fame percentage for what you you need to do to qualify is is you know like you said it's almost locked up the power the speed all that stuff is already there yeah yeah so so so, so for beltron travis i am leaning towards a yes i think all the tools he had as a player like see i look at 70 career war right yeah that has nothing to do with cheating no he's a no in my opinion he's a cheater but he probably did worse the, that year. He probably had a 72 it pro- it war. It probably yeah. hurt him. You're right. <laughs> it probably hurt him that year. So you look at that nut stat and you're like, wow, like maybe he shouldn't have played that year. But, but yeah, t- over over 2,700 career hits, over 430 home runs for a guy who played elite center field defense and was good at stealing bags. For me, the production, it's definitely good enough. And yeah. it really just comes down to how do I factor the 2017. And for me, uh, I'm giving him... Uh, I don't know if I give him a pass, but for me, it's okay. I'm, I'm giving him yeah. a, a tentative. It, it's okay. We're going to keep it rolling. I'll give you my vote for it, now. It, it's like that 5% of his career. It's like it's a little bit. It's 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 just a sour taste, but the 95% of his career was, you know, a top-tier kind of center fielder that brought the speed, the defense, the power all to the game. And so it, it, it's almost like do I, do I hold that 5% over the 95% because that 5% might be so – just icky and and you know not not yeah. good to the you know to the baseball world and, and what it all brought but like you said when Altuve's time comes and and if he provides what he's been doing I I'm I'm going to be leaning voting for Altuve just because he has been a great performer you know for his career so and, and, and beyond the cheating yeah after yeah. the cheating he the, still, he's still been and, good and that's true too you look at the seasons now and you're like wow if the, if the back in what is it wasn't it like 2020 when he was he just was making air after air and his hitting was just so bad it's like maybe this guy really was using this trash can banging to do better maybe he's just an awful player but we just don't know it and so uh he's now, like a triple layer yeah we think he's an mvp and, and now you see these numbers and you're like never mind and then like last year with correa and this year with correa you're like no never mind he had a career year he's had career seasons bregman um you know as well bregman's had you know great postseason performances a lot of guys have kind of just still um you know still continue to own and that's what i look at this last year at the with the astros team they kind of put the they put the haters to bed because they said we were a world series championship team we won the world series this year we've been relevant for the last five years you're going to give us our respect um i know we came close so many times we lost in the world series but you know we can't win them all but um the the amount of success the astros are they're they're a, a dynasty team so travis we're going to be 50 year olds watching an angel game and there'll be some fans booing the astros even though every guy from 2017 is in a rocking chair on we'll a porch be at a somewhere. game next year and they'll be booing the astros and i i mean i kind of just like let's just move on now like well, it's, well tra- yeah. I, I think that some fans will never let it go and that's, no, they'll never know though they, that's okay for them they'll, they'll boo they'll boo tucker and alvarez who yeah. weren't even on the team in 2017 <laughs> yeah. That was great last year's opening day. Tucker gets booed. He's probably like, come on, what the hell did I the, do? The yeah. Angels. Framber gets booed. What did I do? Yeah. The Angels booed Martin Maldonado, who was an angel in 2017. That's true. He was That's on true. our team that, that, when they cheated. 
she did. That was uh, which is just funny. Again, but. you look at the some some common angel fans out there on Twitter, and I think at the ballpark, it's just they 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 piss me off a little bit. So yeah. But that's how it goes, Travis. For yes. me, Beltron is in. For you, he's in. Um, that is that all the guys. That, that everybody. That's basically all the guys. That's all everyone we covered. So um, again, you guys, we listen to this today, which is the Hall of Fame voting today. Uh, it, you'll you'll find out, and uh, and and you know you'll see exactly who's in and out. There, Last there. tidbit, Travis. Yes. How many guys get in tomorrow? McGriff is already in yes. off the veterans committee. We're, we already covered that in the past episode. He deserves it. Great we're question. happy. We're happy for him. Yep. Anyone on this ballot getting in tomorrow? Yes or no? No, I agree. It's just McGriff getting in, which is fun because at least it's one guy. Imagine if we had zeros and we're looking at, you know, the ceremony in July and it's just, it's just an attendance of nobody. And it's just, it's all the old hall of famers sitting up there and they're just kind of like, sitting through a three-hour ceremony and they probably just want to go home and you know not have to worry about that but no one will get in tomorrow i i'm, I'm a firm believer in that i don't see i think i think roland Rol- making the huge jump roland, of 12 roland so. was closest wagner i know has made some good progress i believe yeah. but it's still just like i just still see them they, yeah if they make it they're going to be kind of uh crawling in the last couple yep. of years so yep. we'll see yep i think the biggest thing i'm interested to see is just the the the, the trends of who's going to be Whose vote's going to be increased? Whose vote's going to be decreased? Will Burley and Hunter be on the ballot after tomorrow? Will Bobby Abreu still be on the ballot as well? Um, will Omar Vizquel go down to the teens? You know, I think he's been trending downward for a really long time now. Um, and just seeing, of course, if A-Rod and Manny Ramirez and Sheffield, those type of guys, can kind of make a little bit more of a push as uh, as, as we as we go as we go forward. And and honestly, again, a lot of first years. I'm I'm, I'm predicting. I mean, I think Beltran. Do you think Beltran will get five percent tomorrow? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I feel I, very confident. About I, that. I, I'm confident. I, too. I think I think he'll be a Hall of Famer. I, I I'm confident he'll get north of five percent tomorrow. I'm just curious to see where he'll land. Will he get Will he get north of ten percent? Honestly, don't know. So we'll see. Um, I I'm very confident though that he will be the only one um, of the first years moving on to being a second year and and beyond in the future. So I think a lot of guys are just one and done. Um, and like we said, a lot of guys had good all-star seasons, good, you know, moments of, of, of baseball history, but, uh, you know, they're, they're just not, they're not worthy of, uh, of, you know, getting on and, and staying onto the belt. I saw one guy that I think, um, for some reason he, he made the case for like Ari Dickey and I'm like, just, just, just stop. Like, <laughs> I think Ari Dickey, he the did, last he, did the, the, the he last, had a Cy Young season. The last of the knuckleballers. He, he's a knuckleballer and they're like, we need to preserve this. Like, this is just like, this is going to be gone in, in 10 years. Like, and I said, well, we can preserve like the games and the gloves and all that stuff. But like the guy in itself, he had a North of a four ERA. Um, and you know, so I, I, it's just funny seeing guys that they, it's a, it's a good, it's a good task. If you could said, Hey, Alex, give me, make the case uh, for Bronson make the Arroyo. case for every one of the guys. It's yeah. like, Oh, make the case for Jacoby Ellsbury. It's like, well, he was just a, you know, a prime great leadoff guy, you know, all that stuff for Matt Cain was, was good in his prime. He, I think he had an, a perfect game or a no hitter in, uh, game, yeah. in, in 2012 or something like that. But that should be everything. I guess we'll be giving our reactions sometime later this week. Um, yeah. And, and seeing how, how upset we are going to be or so happy we are going to be with certain guys. But uh, we'll react to the nobody getting in, but we can probably give some love to McGriff. Travis, I think before we wrap up, um, I'll just uh, give a, I'll just read off a headline that I'm reading now. A tweet from Angels reporter Sam Blum. Apparently, the Angels had five potential bidders. 
according to sources familiar. Still the team was expected to sell for more than two and a half billion, quite possibly over three billion. Then on a whim, Artie Moreno decided not to sell. So that is the latest we have. Let's go. Maybe, maybe there'll be more information on the next time we record. But as of now, Travis, we we're just a little bit confused. <laughs> and that's how it's going to stay for a bit. So, um, Travis, that's pretty much the episode, is it not? That's it. Congratulations, Fred McGriff. You will be the 2023 Soul Hall of Fame inductee in maybe, July. Maybe, maybe this someone will surprise us. Maybe. maybe. I, I don't I don't want to look like a fool if we end up being wrong. But I, <laughs> yeah. we, have, we have a good grasp of how the voters kind of Rowan, uh, Rowan I will say, is the only one that that will make somewhat of the most sense at getting that big leap. But I, I 25% of the vote in one year is 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 tough after especially after like years three or four so, right right yeah so so like we like you said we will kind of cover uh the results we'll kind of give our reactions next episode and then Travis episode after that I mean we're, we're, we're gonna start getting into our top 10 for every position kind of as we get into the 2023 season mindset figure out who we have as like some of the you know elites and and kind of who's just kind of running out the top tens. We're also going to do some more World Baseball Classic coverage. Let's go. Um, I think next episode, Travis, we'll talk about our top five rosters. Who do we think are the best teams heading into that tourney? I'm so excited, Travis, to see like this like. Uh, oh, after the World Cup, FIFA World Cup, it's 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 nothing but excitement now that we, we're going to like, these nations. These international pride. And it's so funny seeing some of the teams like David Fletcher is going to be like this sort of stuff for Italy. And like <laughs> I think Peterson's Peterson's like left field for Israel, all this stuff. So yeah. it's just going to be it's going to be fun times. And, and we'll cover all that next episode as well. So a lot of hot stuff coming down the pipeline, Travis. Next couple months are going to be action packed. So if you made it this far, we really appreciate you for listening. Give us a like, comment all that good stuff and we'll talk to you next week presented by tool tools podcast <laughs>